Hey, MFM, see you on the lift. Back attack, dude. <laughs> hey, yo, homies, good. Slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. <laughs> All right. Another beautiful day here in the studio at the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Run Through a Wall Smelling Salts, the smelling salt juggernaut of a company, and, of course, Pub Beer. Now, today is going to be a beautiful episode. Uh, we got Jeremy Jones in studio. What's happening, Jeremy? Not a lot. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks, Chris. We're happy that you're here, Jones. And, of course, I always forget to... Uh, intro our runner of show, our producer, if you will. Ladies and gentlemen, Silk D is the one behind. Let's give him. How you doing, Silk? I'm doing great. It's, it's pretty nice to get some recognition. You, yeah. look, you look good. Yeah, you look Thank good. You. Yeah. Thank you. And of course, we got the star of the show today. We got Mark Landvik in studio. Mark, how you doing? I am fantastic. Yep. Just made my way down from the hole, Jackson's, Travis Rice's hole, and uh, now we're here. Love to see it. Well, yes, for, for our listeners that uh, don't know who you are, which is probably 0% of them, I'll do a little uh, brief description. So Mark is an Alaskan powerhouse that has put down some of the heaviest snowboarding the world has ever seen, from the smaller videos to the biggest blockbuster snowboard films of all time. Mark is a character in every sense of the word. He's a black belt in the lost art of the skit. He's a true craftsman when it comes to woodworking. He's an advocate for mental health, and his journey so far has been a wild one. So let's get into it. The Mark Landvik bombhole interview. Sorry, I just like put that on a pedestal like that. That sounded weird. But uh, what were what were you doing up in uh, <laughs> what were you doing over in uh, Jackson? What, what brings you out here? Uh, well, I got the invite from Trav a couple months ago to come on this uh, extreme camping trip, mm. and. I guess they call it glamping, but we just, I don't know, we just had a bunch of toys. We had jet skis, e-foils, normal foils, jet skis towing into the wake with somebody surfing on it while the foil border's getting towed into the same wake, second wake back, third wake back, um, and just kind of got bored of watching hawks hit trout out of the lake, so we took off. We only did three days. Wow. Mm-hmm. I saw you getting sketchy on the sea How was that? Yeah. It was good. Um, I wasn't as close as the camera makes it look. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was good. It was fun. That 686 gear was keeping me warm. Whoo! Shout out P-Mac. Let's give him an air horn. You know, that's actually the reason why uh, Lando's in the studio, because I saw him in Jackson on a jet ski, looked like narrowly missing rocks, <laughs> and I shot him a text. I said, hey, while you're in Jackson, why don't you come down and do a podcast in Salt Lake? And here we are. Here we are. And now where are you heading from here? Um, I'll probably go back to Jackson for a couple days, um, and then I'll be working my way back up to Washington, and then beginning of September, I'm going to AK to help my buddy build a cabin on an island, mm. so going to set some concrete forms and pads for that to set up, and then we'll uh, frame that thing out and get it all weathered in in the spring. Wow. Sick. Yeah. Short building season up there, I'd imagine. It is. Well... I don't know if you're from AK. It's the building seasons all year long. It just sucks. The weather's true. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really stop for much. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go with my Washington winter status. So we're not we're not gonna be building in the winter up there. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's run it back to your Alaskan roots. I want to hear you're uh, from Juneau originally. Is that correct? Yep. I was actually born in Pocatello, so I you know drove by the home 
homestead this morning, but uh, my parents, grandparents, and my aunt and uncles all moved to Alaska in 1980 when I was one up to Juneau. Um, so yeah, pretty much spent my entire until I was you know graduated high school when I when I took off. So amazing. Yeah. What did it look like uh, finding snowboarding up there in AK at a young age? Mm, well, for me, I started skiing when I was about three. Ski raced and did all that. And one of my friends got into snowboarding when we were about 12 or 13. And we were night skiing. And, I, you know, I'd really been wanting to get on a board. And so finally we just traded skis, snowboard. And I didn't want to be underneath the lights where everybody could see me on the chair. So we cut to the next run over where it was kind of darker, and uh, yeah, man, just started linking turns, like first run in the dark, and it was like, didn't turn back. Just hooked right away. Yeah, I was hooked. I convinced my dad to buy me a board, and then the whole next winter, he would spend time after after work, he would drive me up into the hills where there wasn't any houses built yet, and he would drop me off for like three hours, and I'd just go hike up and down those hills and learn how to snowboard. Just by yourself? Yeah. Now, I heard a little uh, rumor, I don't know if this is true or not, according to Jesse Bertner, we'll have to fact check this right now, that uh, you guys, you know, you got so good at jumping and stuff because you would always jump off the high dive into the water and you could, like, shred flips into the pool. Is this true? Yes, very true. <laughs> um, we kind of had a beef with the Anchorage borderline team. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Liska was kind of like the godfather of snowboarding in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Scott one of my heroes. Um, so he had Anchorage. Uh, eventually he opened a shop in Juneau and in Fairbanks. And so we kind of had ongoing beef with the other teams. And so, yeah, the Juneau boys would head to the pool every night. We'd do a little small workout, hit the showers, and then we'd uh, go and send it off the diving boards and practice whatever we wanted to do. <laughs> corkscrews back in the day is what we're calling them i like the small workout mm-hmm. yeah that's a nice touch <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh Bertner was like juno boys are practicing flips in the pool we're around town says juno boys are doing doing flips <laughs> yeah and Lisco would always talk shit to the anchorage team to get them all fired up mm-hmm. juno boys are killing it what the fuck are you guys doing <laughs> The fuck are you doing, Bertner? <laughs> Bertner and Borgie fucking making movies. I don't know. It's kind of w- weird. They're kind of weird. How'd the <laughs> beef start? Was it that? Yeah, it was just pretty much Scott. Mm-hmm. Just kind of ruffling everybody's feathers just for fun. Um, but we, uh, you know, it, it was all in good fun. I think of one course. time Mark Thompson got a little butthurt about it because I flew up there for a thought it was a slope style ended up being a bank slalom and uh d's and mark had been partying the night before and so i showed up and scott picked me up and he called up d's and he's like fuck you guys doing this contest today lando's here he said thompson's a pussy (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just like this is the first time i like hung out with scott and i'm just like what the and so all day it's like a battle and me and mark make it to the finals and i'm in the lead and like i get this heel turn cut out and i wash out and mark takes it and he ends up winning and he comes up to me afterwards i heard you were calling me a pussy (laughs) (laughs) like super serious about it it was it was funny man 
Man, the, it seems like the scene back there, the borderline camp was like the unifying. Like you had the the Juno crew, and then you got the AK, the Anchorage crew, and it's like borderlines where it all came together, like the melting pot. Yeah, true? yeah, exactly. The um, summer camp. Yeah, because we were all pretty much separated before that, and then once we got the summer camp going, it was uh, well, it was dope to just get to hang out with everybody and you know meet people. Uh, me and Burtner obviously hit it off. He was, he was kind of the head coach for most of the time during camp, and I was like the head digger. So I'd have my dig crew, and he'd have his, you know, campers. And uh, I was going to say one more thing about the swimming pool in Juno. I dropped uh, three musketeers in there once in the shallow end. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, one of the better things I've done in my life. <laughs> Because I just drop it and I waited, you know, and I just kind of like put my face underwater so I wasn't laughing super hard. And I just see these people start to point at it and shit. And and soon enough, the lifeguard comes over with a huge like 18 foot net, you know, to fish it out of there. And he pulls it in and he realizes it's a candy bar and it was all good, but... Just had to make sure we covered that. Yeah, that's I love that. That's a hard hitting. <laughs> that's a hard hitting topic. Yeah, thanks for bringing that. Yeah. Bring coming back to that. Good circle back. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What about uh, Eagle Crest? Because that's the spot where you grew up, right? How'd that shape your riding? Um, very much so. Eagle Crest. I like to think of it as um, like a small Mount Baker, except when you get up on the ridge and it's a clear day, you're just looking at ice islands and ocean. Oh, no I mean, way. it's the most mm. beautiful view you've ever seen in the world. We got a couple of jumps back there where when the sun's lit and the ocean's just all orange, you know, that's the backdrop for the jump. So it's it's pretty amazing. It's a tight-knit community. Juno's 30,000, 35,000 yeah. people, and it has been since I was young. Hasn't really changed much. Um, but they have some new mountain management, and that's really that's been really good for them to get some new blood in there. And, um yeah, hopefully doing some cool things with those guys in the next couple of years. Oh, yeah, sick. I think about growing up in Alaska. You, your backyard is like everybody's pinnacle. Like one day we're gonna go to AK, but you just you grew yeah. up looking up at those things. Were you always like, one day I'm gonna annihilate the fucking big dog shit out back there? Was that in your head always growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think first time I hopped in a helicopter, I was like 16 years old. Damn. Yeah. So it was pretty, you know, it's, it, four or five years after I started snowboarding, you know, because um, that was just kind of normal. Um, older friends of mine were guides, and so, and you know, Hosnick was coming up at that time. We got to know them, and it was just like, it was, uh, I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't have asked to grow up in a better place than Gino, that's for sure. What um, was that bird like that at 16? Who was it full of? Who brought you on the trip? How'd you get kind of the jump on that? Like all my homies, all the borderline Juno boys, and then Mark Schultz, who was doing some guiding back then. He was like, we could just wrangle him in and like pull him together. It wasn't sanctioned through the heliop or anything, you know, it's just kind of rogue. We'd call up a bird and they'd come pick us up and Dang. <laughs> sick rogue heli up yeah and uh 
I mean, even just around town, we used to build this jump on the avalanche path because every year they'd bomb this thing and the entire slope would come down over the road. So we'd go build this dope hip on it like, every year. I think, is that, Sick. would that be called Lando's hip by chance? Lando's hip, well, I guess these days technically there's three of them. Okay. So this is from Bertner. Oh, I'm getting Lando's hip. Yeah. So Lando's hip started in uh, at the summer camp. Mm. I think, yeah. I have a guest question about Lando's hip from Bertner. Let's just pick it up from Dive you. into it? Yeah. Dive yeah. In. Here we go. Hi, Mark. <laughs> what up, buddy? Jesse here. Hyped to hear this bomb hole. I'm wondering if my question for you is if you started a borderline camp again right now and built the new improved Lando's hip, who out of the current crop of rulers would you want to see blasting off this thing? Could be one guy, could be one gal, could be 10, whatever you got in your head. All right, buddy. Love you. Bye. Oh, man. Love you too, Big B. Um, yeah, so Lando's hip, like I said, I was I was kind of the head digger at Borderline Camp, and so we were working with a couple guys from Mammoth, cat drivers, dude named Isaac, and uh, he was he was pretty good at the cat, and so we literally built this massive kind of spine hip, you know, pretty big too, and. Scott Liska, like everything, he has, you know, he comes up with a little slang for everything. Dude's got his own language, literally, and it's hilarious. So he's just like, nice. Lando's hip looks dope. <laughs> and so it just caught on from there. Lando's hip. So all over the world, people, Lando's hip. <laughs> so there's that one. Oh, okay, let me answer that well, question. You, you want to know who's on let the Let me sesh. answer that question. The sesh is going to be Ben Fergie. Brock and Zeb. Mm. Wow. Whew. I'd like to see those guys do it. Whew. Two reggies and a goof, but it's a spine hip, so it works, right? Yeah. So you're good. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're all boosting. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a nuts one. I'd see I see Zeb probably going over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll come up with something that you just can't come up with mm-hmm. on a spine hip. That's mm-hmm. for sure sh- for certain. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, you're going on Lando's hip number two? Oh, yeah. On the backside of Eagle Crest. Uh, front side hip this time. And so that one just... I didn't name this one. I guess they call it Lando's hip. That was what I hear when I go back to Juno. Same thing, just the sickest backdrop of the ocean. Mm. Man, it's like... It's such a cool spot to have a jump. And then the third one came along when we were building Natural Selection up in Jackson. Um, so we had this, it was essentially like a cliff, just outcropping a rock, and we took wood and, you know, made the whole backside transition out of wood. For goofy footers, bang. Mm-hmm, correct. And so they deemed that Lando's hip, and the first year of natural selection, it's like, heard my name way too much. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the the original, like the 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 actual natural selection, not the ultra or whatever, the one eight years ago? Was it that one? No, the one, the new one. Yeah, the new. Got one. it. So yep. the one that's yep. on the farthest right of the course that everybody was hitting, that's Lando's hip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of that gap step down hip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. 
All right, I got a question for you, Lando. Have you ever hit a smelling salt? Negative. Okay, that's amazing news. All right, so we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna get into a segment of the show we call Run Through Wall Trivia. Now I'm gonna put this platter of salts in front of you. I'm gonna take one for me, one for Jeremy. You got a couple? Yeah. I'll... And here, take this platter. All right. And the concept of this is basically uh, rapid fire trivia. So uh, we're gonna run through it. You got five seconds to an- answer each one of these. And if you don't get it right, you have to do a smelling salt. So I'm going to cue up the... Uh, Welcome to Run Through Wall Trivia. Okay, we kind of went Alaska-themed. So this could be big for you, Lando. This could be big for your credibility. I know. I'm kind of scared now. Okay. You said we can cut this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just edit it. Yeah. I will All right. not be cutting this. Yeah. Stays in. Sorry. Silk's not cutting anything. Live section. So uh, Jeremy will be your countdown in the five seconds, and I will be your <laughs> buzzer. If you don't get it right, you hear that buzzer, you do a smelling salt. Okay, here what we do go. You, first of all, yeah. what do I do? Do I break this in half? I'll give you a, tu- give you, give him a tutorial. You pinch it. Yeah, pinch it here. I, this is my SD, kind of thumb underneath, two fingers on the ends. Pop. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all. Yeah, you can ease it up to the nose. You went in like a maniac. Dude, I make that face when I pinch it, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. Question number one. Alaska has five species of salmon. Name three. Chinook. King. Sockeye. Uh, chum. Yeah, okay, that's correct. That's correct. We'll give you that. I have uh, king, silver, red, chum, and pink, but I think those are all correct. Those, yeah. Okay, question number two. Jason Borgestad wrote to what musical artist in J.B. Deuce's Survival of the Tightest? Britney Spears? Incorrect. Mm. Oh, Back- Backstreet Boys. You still got to do a smelling salt. You're uh, close, shit. though. <laughs> Damn it, I should have thought about that. All right, fire in the hole. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number three. This comes from Mike Yoshida. He provided this question. Woo! What? What's the name of the walrus dick bone? Five, four, three, two. Fuck. I know that one too. <laughs> Answers: Ooh, sick or oh, damn sick. it! All right, you gotta hit another salt. I Get didn't in there. know it. <laughs> okay. Name, <laughs> name a public ski area on Douglas Island in Juneau. Five. Eagle Crest. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. What is the term used to describe a seasoned Alaskan? Five, four. Sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe actually acceptable. The term sourdough is what we're looking for. Uh, oh, this is fun. Here we go. We, this is the first time for the listeners we're going to be holding up pictures. So you have to, this is called name that tool. First tool. Uh, router. Correct. Okay. Second tool. Five, four, three, two. Uh, plunge. Uh, fuck, what's it called? Uh, waffle plunge. Biscuit joiner? Biscuit joiner. <laughs> waffle plunge, dude. <laughs> waffle <laughs> plunger. I do my own joints. <laughs> dude, pretty close, though. Waffle yeah. plunge. That's a manual drill. I have one of those in my garage. Is that correct? I'll jo- take that for Jones sure. Googled French that drill. Yeah. Okay, so you all right, so you got two out of three right. That's pretty good. Then we got uh two more questions. How many stars are featured in Alaska's state flag? Oh god. Four, yeah. Three, two, two, 
One. That's not good. I didn't get that. The correct answer is eight. You got to hit another salt. I don't even know what. <sighs> am I sp- are they? Am I supposed to bleed? They're, yeah, that? they all turn red. They're all red. That's They'll... not my nose. <laughs> no. My nose. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> okay, and the last question: Who was the OG rider to first ride super spines? Five, four, three. Slaz. That's correct. All right, yes. and that's it, folks. That has been Run Through a Wall Trivia. Nice job. Nice. I only had to do four. (laughs) (laughs) You hit them fresh every time and went back for doubles on a couple, (laughs) which is sick. Respect. I thought you would have for sure got the biscuit joiner. I thought that was your... uh... I would, too. What a schmuck. You know whose idea that was? (laughs) You had it. Pat McCarthy. That was Pat McCarthy. Yeah, waffle joiner. (laughs) Waffle (laughs) waffle (laughs) plunge plunge joiner. Waffle plunge joiner. (laughs) Fucking Pat. That's because his wife uses one of those. That's horseshit. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, we were maybe gonna like. I like a mortise and tenon mm. joint mm-hmm. personally. Mm. So you don't really know much about woodworking. <laughs> so. I don't know about that joint <laughs> either. But. It's basically if you took a square and put it into a female hole of square. a square. Got it. That would be the joints. One. What of do the, you call it? Uh, mortise and tenon. Mortise and tenon. It's joint. how they used to make like barns and shit you know the mm-hmm. whole without nails and like and then you got those little waffle things you put in the yeah and then you get waffles and <laughs> <laughs> kind of just cram them in there but they work like glue like a waffle cone yeah. you, to, you just say can i get a waffle cone large vanilla ice cream hold the vanilla ice cream just give me the cone <laughs> and then you go build a barn basically. i'm doing some woodworking this afternoon <laughs> all right we're already losing it this is good I want to hear the story about how you got on Lib. I heard it's a good one, according to Bertner. Yeah, it is a good one. Um, <clears throat> so I'd always been very drawn to Lib Tech um, and Jamie Lynn, especially you know his style and like his just his presence on the snowboard was something that I always looked up to growing up. And uh, so I rode Lib forever. And, you know, me and Bertner started filming together. Um, borderline team, we would travel and do the contest circuit um, with the Vance Triple Crown, trying to get sponsors and all that good stuff. And I think Chris Owen was the team manager at that time. And I'd been reaching out to him, trying to get a hold of him, leaving him messages. And I, I don't know, maybe it was my voice or something, but I think he thought I was just like some stoner kid that wanted a free board or something, you know? And so I never got a never got a return call from him. And then at one point, the factory and offices that were in Seattle, Mervyn moved the, the main manufacturing to Squim, which is... Um, out on the Washington Peninsula, the Olympic Peninsula. And my grandma's out there. She's about 30 miles from Squim, and she's a real estate agent, and she crushes it. And Mike Olson was coming across on the ferry at that time because he was kind of going back and forth, trying to figure out what he was going to do. They didn't have a house over there yet. And he saw this house for sale um, just in one of the little pamphlets on the ferry, looking at houses, you know, like still trying to figure it out. And he saw this house that he had used to sneak underneath the house of when he was younger. 
It was this big mansion on a bluff, and they had it all fenced off. There was a hole underneath the fence, and there was a surf wave inside this bluff, and nobody knew about it. So Mike would always go sneak underneath that fence and go surfing there. And sure enough, he sees that house for sale when he's on the ferry that day, and he calls up the real estate agent, who happens to be my grandma, and she's like, oh, my grandson. This is after they met, you know. So they met. He ends up buying the house. And my grandma proceeds to tell him about me and, you know, how much I love snowboarding, how good I am, you know, doing the grandma thing, which I'm sure Mike, well, Mike's a little different. He was probably like, okay, I'll check him out. You know, normally anybody else would be like, sure. Yeah. Sure, lady. Mm. You know, 70-year-old grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... So I was going to visit my grandparents, and we had set it up for me to go meet Mike at the factory, do a walkthrough. You know, my grandma introduced us, and then so Mike gave me a whole walk through the factory, showed me everything, loaded me up, um, decked me out in gear, and, you know, it wasn't really, that that was just kind of through Mike's personal, you know, thing it wasn't anything to do with owen or the company or writing for libtech or anything but it kind of sent me in the right direction and then i started doing really good in contests and stuff that year and it was the same stuff that mike had given me and it just ended up working out that that was the kind of the mesh that brought us together it's pretty crazy but it's i think it's you know i think stuff like that happens at mervin quite often you know things are meant to be in weird ways, and that was one of them. How many years is that now? Mm, well, I don't have any sponsors technically anymore. Um, so, but it was, I want to say, like a good 16, 17 years maybe. Damn. You know, with Lib, and then riding their boards for probably 25, you know, just wow. on my own. Um, so sick. Yeah. And those guys are the shit. You know, Mike and Pete are just the raddest dudes to have a snowboard company out there. Um, They put everything into it, everything they have into it, and so does everybody around them. And, yeah, it's just a great community of people. Totally. Yeah, you hear that. We hear that on the show with a lot of the the Mervin guys that are just, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to ride a lib. I don't don't care if I'm, that's it. That's the board or whatever, you know. I think that's that loyalty and that Northwest uh, vibe that they've, created and the family feel of it is Mm -hmm. it's it's awesome yeah i remember when pete asked me he's like we were trying to figure out a team manager you know they were and he's like who do you think we should i was like bertner you should get bertner like he would crush it and Mm -hmm. he's like all right okay cool sure enough bertner's in there and uh you know he's a perfect fit as well he's been there as long as i have as long as, you know, me and him came on the lib pretty much together, so. And you guys were kind of separate, like, you guys were partners in crime, I feel like, through, you know, the J.B. Deuce era up into Till Thunk, kind of, right? You guys were filming a lot together and riding a ton? Yeah. Yeah, Jesse was huge um, as far as me getting exposure, um, being able to travel, and having other see- people see me snowboard, Um he was a major part in me being where I'm at today, 100%. Um, we were always filming, which I loved. You know, we had a crew, 
constantly, um, whether it's filming dumb shit, having fun, or out there snowboarding and kind of going for it. Um, and then, you know, he ended up getting hurt, and it kind of changed his trajectory of where he was in his snowboarding, which is crazy because he was... He would hit big jumps with me, you know. Burton would do cab nines, tens off massive jumps back in the day. Like, he would go for it. He would hit huge stuff. And uh, when he hurt his head, he couldn't do that anymore. Um, but he, it's, it was so cool to see him pretty much invent a genre of snowboarding, you know. This kind of off-the-wall jib. I don't even know what else you call it. I mean... Nowadays, he's got his foot out more than he's got his foot in. So he's, you know, obviously doing a ton of one-foot stuff. But he was he, he, he brought so many people through the fold, you know. Scott Stevens, me, uh, you know, just tons. single, yeah. Yeah, tons of people, yep. man, went through, the, went through Bertner's program and, you know, made a career out of snowboarding from that. And... Uh, yeah, I'll always be grateful to him for that. Mm. Supported the genre that he brought in, which is sick, you know? Started putting video projects behind that whole, yeah, like, community of snowboarding. Like, that's 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 so sick. Mm-hmm. Next level. I wondered, he also, like, I shouldn't say he, you guys all did this, but you guys put Alaska on the map. Because if you think about it, when you, you know, I think about guys like yourself, you had John Cooley, you had uh, Bertner, you know, Yosh is shooting photos. You got Gus Engel. There was like this kind of, um, you know, Borgstad. Uh, Borgstad, yeah. Liskas. Larson, the Liskas. And so there was this kind of this, this just wave, continual wave of Alaskan talent that came up through what was JB Deuce and then eventually came to be Think Think. And what I was kind of wondering is I know I see a couple. Alaskan kids here and there. There's a couple of rippers that are living in Salt Lake, but is there still is there still like a, a nice wave of talent coming out of AK? I mean, it seems like it's kind of like on a bit of a revival right now. It definitely died down after we. Um, well, it seemed like after Borderline Camp, you know, Scott Liska ended up shutting down Borderline. We weren't doing Borderline Camp anymore, and that like probably left the state somewhat stagnant for new talent because that's that was just like the melting pot you know every like little little kids that rip now you know we were Burtner was coaching them when they were eight nine ten years old um and when so did that n- shut down sorry when did that one shut down I can't remember exactly. I want to say around like 2004 or five. Yeah, I was like going to say 05, yeah. 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 Um, and so I felt like, I feel like that left a hole for sure. Um, but in Juno, um, Jake Liska, Scott's son, opened Borderline Legacy about 10 years ago now. So there's some fresh, fresh blood. A lot of the skate scene seems like it's going off again. Um, and then Borgstead up in Anchorage, you know, Borgie opened his shop and just like Borderline and Juno, you know, he's doing a ton for the community, um, doing a real good job with, with his shop up there. It's been really cool to watch him come into his own and, in you know, still be in the industry, but the, 
the the best part about snowboarding was that shop feeling you know going into that shop every day and your homies are there and it's like it was like a second home you know what i mean and uh nowadays you see less and less of that because everything's being sold online people aren't going to local vendors to buy stuff um so if you hear this go out and you know support your local shops and local companies if you can um because it really does create a presence and um you know, creates a community and you, you can build something really cool, cool out of it when you get the right people together. Do you think that that, uh, you know, the community was small, you spoke of those numbers and it's kind of remained the same. What kind of impact do you have? Do you think that has on that culture, like that snowboard shop culture versus, you know, even somewhere like here, Salt Lake City, where you have multiple shops and sort of these different groups happening and you know how you how you might nurture it like yeah. it seems seems like the formula that you describe is completely like naturally nurtured and then it seems when it spreads out it's a little harder to even like keep it together and really like grow it what would you think kind of help support that yeah i mean in Juneau especially, and in Anchorage as well, I believe, um, everybody, almost everybody buys stuff from Borderline or from Borgie's shop, you know? Like, they just support local. And maybe that's more of a Alaskan thing, you know, because that you're in the middle of nowhere. You, you, you help people that need help, even if you don't know them, you support the community around you, even if you don't know everybody in the community. Um, you know, and I, I think the more we get spread out, the more we get pushed apart from each other and the more people we, you know, you end up not shutting yourself off to everybody, but you, you, you have to have blinders on because there's so much going on around you. When in a small community, you, you don't have to be as, um, uh, uptight good way to put it you know like you go to california and new york people don't people aren't that friendly not because they're mean people it's just because of the that's the culture there's too much going on to say hello and be nice to every single person out there they're not assholes they're, they're they just grew up in a different part of the world pace is faster not mm -hmm. enough time to even say hi or smile yeah that kind of thing yeah mm. So that's what I do love about a small community and somewhere like Juneau is because everybody's going to that shop to support Borderline. And, you know, it's, uh, I love to see it because it, for 10 years or so, we, they didn't have that, yeah. you know, and, and the, it felt like the kids and the community really, it took a toll on them, you know, not having something like that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about the bomb hole. We got some exciting news. We just redesigned our entire website. We're building it to be a destination snowboard website. So we'll be uploading other people's content. All the best videos from the internet will be on there. So aside from Bombhole Podcasts, you can find all your favorite videos on the internet. So be sure to bookmark bombhole.com. Check it out. We also got a back to school sale going on right now. So anything that you purchase comes with a free tote. And we got some goods on there. We got the corduroy hats, 
My personal favorite, we got this sticker pack that's bursting at the seams. We got over 50 stickers in this pack. I'm a sticker nerd. I like slapping stickers on everything. So we, uh, we juiced this sticker pack up. And we are also launching a new show next week called Bombhole Group Chat. We're going to have all kinds of people in studio. We'll probably have four, four or five people in studio. We're going to be talking about all things snowboarding, recent snowboard videos that are coming out, takes on snowboarding. So be sure to check out Bombhole Group Chat next Wednesday. And we appreciate you guys. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're going to take a break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Big news from Bub's. They got new branding on their collagen, on their all their products. How are you liking that branding, Jones? I think it looks good. They're always updating, keeping it fresh. It's clean, and I have been chugging the Bub's Natural Hydrator Dye. It's basically an electrolyte solution. You mix it in some water, shake it around, and mm-hmm. it just keeps you hydrated, which is nice. They also got uh, no artificial colors, no added sugars. It's made from nature, from all good stuff. And the thing I like is I drink about twice as much water because it actually tastes good. So uh, it's, it's good to stay hydrated out there. What else? Uh, what have you been on from the Bud, Bub's products, Jones? Man, from day one, the protein collagen. I mean, it's just a go-to for my bones, for my joints, uh, my skin. I feel better when I'm on it, so I just stay true to it, really. Coffee's a dope addition. Yeah, it just came Love up that Bub's Brew. And uh, Bub's is just a rad company in general, so if you want to support them, head on over to bubsnaturals.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE. Again, head on over to bubsnaturals.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. So I, I want to get into, you know, filming from, you went from JB Deuce to think to Thunk, and then Standard, right? Is that the arc of, how did it come about? Was, was White Balance your first Standard film? Yep. Sick. Yeah. yeah how did that come about? Um... So at that time, I was cruising down to Seattle, spending time with Bertner and filming with him. Um, and we were both riding for LibTech at that time. And, you know, I just wa- I felt like I wanted a bigger project. I wanted something bigger, you know. Um, I wanted to work with some of the production companies I grew up watching. And I always loved standard films and just the... I don't know, the way those guys shot film was just awesome. And so I went to Janine James, who was the the TM at Mervyn at that time, and I pretty much said, look, I can work doing construction in Alaska during the summer, during the fall, and come and do whatever I want in the winter and support myself. Like... I need something bigger if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm riding for you guys, if I'm trying to be a pro snowboarder, I want something bigger because otherwise, why wouldn't I just do whatever I want to do on my own? And uh, so she reached out to, uh, she reached out to Hatchet, and so they were like, all right, send us some footage. And so Bertner put together a reel, sent him the reel, and they were stoked on it. So the next year, I kind of you know, had an opportunity to go up there. Jimmy Clark, who was shooting photos, he was a classic, classic Northwest uh, photographer. He was heading up to Whistler to go shoot with Travis Robb, who was uh, one of the producer, director, main director, I guess, um, at Standard Films, and he was living in Squamish. 
And so I went up there with Jimmy. You know, we we went out. I think we had two days in Whistler. Um, and I kind of fucking crushed it. It was deep, deep snow. And I remember one of the days, Trav's like, we're not going to be able to make it out to the zone. Like, we're going to be snowmobiling for eight hours, and we're going to just barely get into Seagram's. He's like, so why don't we get in the heli? And I said, all right, let's do it. Because <laughs> there was like five feet of snow, you know? And that's where a lot of that stuff in the, my white balance part came from, that massive, like, front side three off the mm-hmm. cliff. Step down, yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of the that stuff. The snow is so deep, you can tell in that landing. Yeah, yeah. it was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Did like two days up there, left. Um, but actually, as we were flying out, we saw Martin Gallant and all those dudes just barely breaking the crest at like 5 p.m. Just Putting driving. in the highway. Yeah. yeah. So the highway was there for us the next day. Uh, but so I went back home um, and Trav was very stoked. He liked my style of riding. Um, you know, I tend to not build a bunch of stuff. Um, seems like in Whistler, at least, especially back in the day, people were just building the same jumps over and over again and you'd see them everywhere. And so I think he really, you know, we meshed in that way because I was very much wanted to ride everything natural if I could and do tricks if I could, I would still pass stuff down and still build jumps, but if I didn't have to, I didn't want it. And so if you're doing that, you're, bagging a lot more shots than if you're just building a kicker and hitting a jump all day so it's a good system and I didn't have a car at the time so Jimmy lived in Seattle and I was in Bellingham and I wanted to go back up and meet up with Standard again but I didn't have a way to get up there so I hopped on the Greyhound bus with my board bag and took the Greyhound bus through the border all the way up to Squamish and Travis would pick me up and uh, Standard had an extra sled there I could use. And so filmed the rest of the season with them. And, yeah, I got a, got a part. And I, I had no idea. I wasn't even thinking about it. And Tim Manning called me up. He's like, dude, you got a part in the new film. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I didn't really even – I just kind of put it away in the vault, and I was in Juneau working, doing construction for my dad. And – uh yeah, and it went off. And earlier that year, too, I wanted to ride for Volcom, but I didn't know anybody and wasn't really, didn't have any ends. And so I just went to Borderline and bought a full Volcom kit and wore it in that standard part in white balance. And um, I think Billy Anderson saw that and he was like, all right, who's this dude who's already wearing our shit, buying it himself? Um, and so. Billy reached out, and, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. Brian Knox was at Vans at that time, and um, I can't remember which one was which, but I think Billy kind of turned Knox on to me or vice versa, one of the two. And, you know, it was just a match made in heaven, dude. I was riding for LibTech, Volcom, and Vans in Borderline. You know, it was... (laughs) Those are like my dream sponsors, so couldn't have gotten any better. At that point, it was just like, all right, let's go. Wow. You talk about, yeah, it's it's like to not know where 
you were going kind of with filming. Is it interesting in the, in this storyline of, of um, white balance because you and getting to standards because you approach your team manager and you're like, yo, I want in, I want to like level this up. And the way that you kind of put yourself out there, sounds like you did it all by yourself and you were just kind of driven in that way. And then also the greyhound across the border, take those steps alone and and have that. But also you're like moving into this crew that films the best snowboarders that are currently riding mountains, you know? And you're just sort of clipping away and then disappear to the, the construction zone, <laughs> and end up with a part, you know? But then the same time you had you did have these goals, you know, you had these or maybe just aspirations or just desires of like brands that you were drawn to and that you liked. And then all of a sudden you landed in this sweet spot. It's a it's a it's a cool story. There's, you know, I guess I guess my question would be around that, like how much of a of a plan did you have kind of entering that team manager conversation that really sort of sparked this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, my, I did, and it was kind of like an ultimatum, you know, like get me in or like I'll do it myself type of thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. funny enough, that was the year that Eminem dropped Lose Yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh. And so, Heavy like, year. I'd be on the bus, dude, just like. Mom spaghetti. Yeah. Vomit yeah, on my t shirt yeah. already. Come on, dog. Fucking <laughs> 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 Cheddar Bob, bro. Dude. <laughs> So you're on the Greyhound listening to Lose Yourself. Yeah. Oh, my. That's, my, that's fucking visuals all time, I bro. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it did. It's, a, it's an inspirational song, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have my air of it, too. I'm with. I get it. Yeah. 100%. So, so then I heard a rumor that that White Balance part you filmed in six days. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Other question I have. You mentioned that you didn't have a snowmobile or a car. However, at the end of that video part, you tomahawk like a 03 summit or some shit <laughs> down a hillside, and it like the hood pops off. I'm guessing that wasn't your sled. It wasn't, and Tim Manning didn't know that it wasn't my sled either. He's like, dude. I saw him at the premiere. He's like, man, that's crazy what happened to your sled. <laughs> and I'm like, well... Funny you say that because that's actually your guys. <laughs> it was it was me, Travis, Rob, and Benji, and we were just ghost riding our sleds, you know. And yep. I'd never done this before. Like I, Travis was showing me the ropes on snowmobiling because mm -hmm. I'd never, even I, I grew up in Alaska. I'd never been really. Juno doesn't have much for snowmobile terrain, um, and it was. Uh, I just had a brain fart throw me back into it. Uh, we're talking about snowmobiling and how you grew up not snowmobiling. Oh, yeah. No, so so we're ghost riding these things, and Benji puts his down. And I'm like, so just right here? I just let the thing go? He's like, yeah, dude, it's all good right here. I let it go, and it kind of starts veering right, and we just hear the, like, <laughs> you hear it revving up, and it's like comes up over a hill, and it's like, whoom. And we're like, oh, shit. And it comes up over, vroom. Oh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> and then it's just like, boom. And that thing launched like 60 feet, dude, just straight plowed on top of the cowling, front cowling. And we, yeah, we kind of towed it out of there. Oh, I love that. 
But I, th- I think Hatchet, you know, chalked it up for a win yeah, for the, the standard team. Yeah, the clip was amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, we got to get into some more standard films. Uh, I'm going to fast forward. I think Paradox was the next year, I believe, right? But my DVD collection serves me correct. You would probably know better than me. So we got to get into... <laughs> I don't know why, but you probably would. <laughs> a legendary quote here. Uh, and it reads, <laughs> I just go to Walmart buy a broom, and sweep it off. Booyaka. Booyaka. <laughs> yeah, that was a, you know, that was that was a shoulder check for all the Canadians in Whistler that were going out and building the same jumps time after time. And uh, I just didn't, I didn't understand it. There was so much terrain everywhere. All this dope terrain to just do whatever you want. You can build it brand new jump every day and you know you just have to have a little uh a vision and so yeah i was just i'd kind of always talk shit on them not not in a bad way you know friendly they're all my homies but i felt like just taking a little dig at people going out there hitting the same jumps year after year day after day weekend after weekend so that was just my uh like I said, a little shoulder check for the Whistler boys. Mm-hmm. It make, lived make, on. Sh- make sure they're uh, make sure they're taking advantage of that terrain. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you gotta let them know. Maybe lives on. I mean, I can't always referencing Dustin off the kicker yeah, and Booyaka. Mm-hmm. Like it's the <laughs> yeah that was heavy. And rotation. you come to mind every time. You, every time I use it, people gotta come up to you about that quote, right? Because I mean, we had it in heavy rotation back east. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Probably more often, though, is like the Kiwi accent from that set. That's oh, yeah, people all over the oh, world. My God. Hit me up. Yeah, mate, birds. <laughs> 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 that seems to be the fan favorite. I mean, let's talk the art of the skit. Let's just get yeah, right into let's it. Let's do it. I mean, speaking of that's it, that's all. You, you opened it up. Uh, I think we got a, actually, we got a Patreon question about that. Silk, why don't you, t- why don't you, uh, Get into that. Yeah. We got a Patreon question from uh, Will Millard, and uh, he asked, did you write the intro monologue for That's It, That's All, and how many takes did it take to get the shot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, definitely did not write it. Um, I like to freestyle off the top of my head most of the time, especially doing skits and shit. It's just way funner. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit bigger backstory to it, so... I'd come down to do some editing, and Mark Carter's family, who lives up in Tent Sleep, was doing their cattle branding that weekend. And so Trav's like, dude, you want to go up to the cattle branding, Carter Ranch? And I was like, there's Dolly Parton sleep on her back. (laughs) She has to, dude. (laughs) Unless you make a, a bed with booby cutouts, she has to. And so me, him... Gabe Langlois and Colin White go up there. We start road tripping, and we have our uh, we have paintball guns, and so we're shooting every single sign along the way. We're just I can't believe we didn't get pulled over. But so we get there, and Travis and I had gone shopping at the old Western store right before we left, and so we show up. That stuff I'm wearing in the opening of that's it, that's all brand new, white as can be. <laughs> Travis had some like 
Mozart, Beethoven made love to a cowboy white shirt ruffled thing on, and we hop out, and Carter just like shakes his head and looks down. He's like, "Well, these are my snowboard buddies." To all the cowboys, because they're all just wearing dirty t-shirts and a baseball cap. <laughs> and so they kind of like us right out of the gate, you know, because we're fucking idiots who would show up like that. And within like, you know, 10 minutes, like it's a pretty cool concept. You're like, you're there with the entire community. So intensely, it's all ranch communities or families. So every weekend during that branding time, one designated family will be doing the branding, but everybody from community comes to help wrangle the cattle, do all that stuff. So you essentially have two two lines of people on each side, and the cowboy lassos him and brings him in, and you kind of make, like, eye contact with some dude across the way. And uh, so I would go over, depending on which side you're on, you would grab the rope that the cowboy had, the leg of the calf, and you would do this whip move, and just as you would whip it, your partner, who came from the other side, would do like a half Nelson move and turn the cattle over. And then we'd hold it down. They'd give them their shots. You know, they'd brand them. They would uh, snip their nards if they need to, whatever they got to do. It was gnarly. I mean, you're holding the rope, and you, you put your foot over their butthole so they don't poop on you. Oh, man. It's pretty... So, like, we're covered in shit within 20 minutes. But it was so much fun. We did 420 cattle in four hours, I think, something like that. Yeah, it was gnarly. So we had a big night at the bar that night. I mean, do you want me to go into this? Yes. Yes, okay. All right, so (laughs) Ten Sleeps like another planet. First, we get to the bar, and Carter tells us the bathroom is the middle of the street. We're not allowed to use the, the restroom in the, in the bar. So anytime you got to piss, you piss in the middle of the street in 10 sleep. So we got that dialed. With <laughs> <laughs> Within, like, probably an hour and a half, Travis and I both have our shirts off, chasing each other around the pool table with pool cues, trying to hit each other, just like psychos, just sweating you know just like you know we 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 threw a couple back that's for sure and so whatever some cowboy tries to fart, fight me rc steps in lays the cowboy out oh my god it it is a night dude and so Colin's sitting there. He's doing an interview of Travis and so he's sitting there underneath the stoop and the plastic table plastic chairs writing up this interview that he's done with Travis during this whole crazy ordeal. And we find a golf cart, and we're like, yes! <laughs> and so three of us are, like, on the back, so this thing's doing wheelies. And we pin it underneath the stoop, just start yelling. And before you know it, there's plastic chairs, tables flying everywhere, homie's computer, Colin's computer's on the floor. Like, I mean, it was unreal. And so... In a long roundabout way, that big night is what led up to the the opening of That's It, That's All. So we're super hungover. We go back to uh, Brain Farm, and Kurt's like, and I still have my outfit on. <laughs> and he loved it, and he's like, dude, we got to go shoot something with your outfit. Come on, let's go. So we just go out in the field, and we did like, I think it was probably like three cuts. 
we did three cuts and uh whatever i was just having fun like me and kurt dicking around with cameras like we just have a good time no matter what so i didn't think anything of it and then we're at the premiere in california and cut from black it's straight to that (laughs) i'm like holy shit and Circe is like Circe loved it like Circe was 100 percent my biggest fan in that whole that whole film and uh yeah so i didn't write it took about three cuts and i still have that shirt and i still have that hat so dope you still got the piece of grass that was in your mouth yeah, totally. <laughs> the hat has a couple of bullet holes in it from the next day, but it's that they surprised you with that is sick yeah. too. Yeah, that's so dope. Oh, it was awesome. It, yeah, it set the tone too nicely for this big serious production of mm. you know huge magnitude, and then it's like lighthearted and fun, yeah. which was crazy for that time to come out with a project like that. You know, yeah, but then opening it very traditionally in a sense because there was a lot of chatter online or wherever mm-hmm. it was about yeah. the movie and sure. so that's kind of what fueled yeah. that whole it's intro not enough yeah. <laughs> yeah so i just cut into everything like look all right you want to call us out on this call us out on, i'm just gonna put it all out there and then you can't say shit mm. and if you don't like it who cares dude i think we should get into a quick question from none other than mike yoshida here we go Oh, Lando, <laughs> what up? It's Callie King. Yosh here. <laughs> Got a quick guest question for you. Um, I think most people know you for riding the backcountry and all the antics and all the films and whatnot, but um, what a lot of people probably don't know is the short stint of a street career you had um, riding rails. And um, one shot in particular that stands out as your opener for um, White Balance. Um, I mean, pretty much like a huge breakout part for you. But that opener was you trying to board slide a curved rail, slipping off early and just absolutely getting worked. And I I want to know more about that shot. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, did you get hurt? That just looked like a horrendous fail. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, want to? I want to hear about Street Lando, um, and I guess this is a two-parter. Sorry, I didn't specify. But um, second question is: um, Give me your top and go-to um, barbecue meal because, um, as the Bellingham crew knows, um, you're you're always famous for having the best barbecues and um, an amazing cook. So. I want to hear it from you. What What's your go-to barbecue meal um, in this day and age? All right. Love you guys. Later. Yeah, Yosh. Love it. Oh, I miss that guy. He's so cool. So, yeah, that, that, uh, that handrail and white balance. Me, Travis Robb, and Mike Renzi. Mikey was young. He was probably 14 or 15 maybe at that time. And so we were like, we, we had gone over to Montreal or somewhere for some reason. <laughs> like, there were, oh, there's a contest. There used to be a contest for that big uh, shop. Shakedown or something? Yeah, it's a shakedown. Oh, yeah. 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 
So we went there for the shakedown, and there wasn't obviously any mountains really to ride. So me and Mikey were just like, ah, let's find some stuff to jib. And we found that rail. And that thing was pretty dope. Mean. Um, and, yeah, I got... <laughs> I got locked into it. I, well, I popped off early, and it's wood stairs. And it's a curved rail, so it was literally sending me right to the exact place you don't want to be on that rail. And I thought I was going to make my way around it, and I did not. My, my leg ends up catching the down bar, spinning me around like 720, 900, something like that. It was burly. It looked way worse than it was. Like, I mean, I got pretty I got pretty messed up. I had a bruised leg for sure. I didn't break anything. Um, I was really lucky. But I would say that was kind of like the, the apex of my jibbing career. It's <laughs> 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 a pretty ill highlight. <laughs> No broken bones, though, because of the training days before the flips. You had that muscle mm. muscle mass to kind of take that you know beating. To tuck, so. You know to yeah. tuck the front. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Lean, that lean that, was, a, that was a nasty crash. Yeah. I mean, that you can hear it in the video. Travis Robb is, like, super scared. Like, he's freaked out. He thinks I'm dead, done. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Man. So that was the end of the steal for you? End of the jib career? Yeah. I think that's a good way to end it. Yes. Right? Yeah, sure. You know, at least you had some you... good moves though. A lot of steel in uh, what was I watching? Pulled back up. It. I didn't even seen it before. Ninety nine. Borderline video. Borderline you're video. Up boardies. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Your board slides opens it up some with a board Some wood rail. Slide. Yeah, yeah, wood rail kinks. You were riding. Oh, you probably yeah. don't even remember. Yeah. Maybe you do. Yeah, <laughs> I remember some of them. He was. I guess he was going for <laughs> jibber of the year that year. Is what I heard. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Ninety nine have been. Uh, good yeah, year I don't for know it. where I ended up on the pedestal. <laughs> 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 Probably in the room. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. You're like, yeah, you know, you know what's good though when you slam hard enough to get a clip. Yeah. It's like, at least you didn't like get hurt and it was like not even that good. Like that was a violent bail. You know, that's a good oh, shot yeah, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I don't know what your take a is grade. on that. Yeah, that's a yeah. Ha- that's a hammer. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. A hammer. Um <laughs> shot a de- shot a day keeps hatchet at bay. That's what I say. <laughs> yep. That's what I used to say. <laughs> so going back to uh to brain farm because you just kind of got into it there I oh think it's a good wait s- hold on yosh i like to barbecue oh, i like to smoke oh, yeah. on about a 150 to a 175 temp you know get a nice brine on that shit uh make sure you put about 16 hours in there so on a saturday night before seahawks game you're gonna want to start that about and depending on start time let's just say 8 p.m all right there you go yosh bye hmm. Well, did you talk? What, I just took those notes. What for were my the? <laughs> what what was the meat of choice? Brisket is that what you said? Brisket. Um, I love short ribs. Mm. Short ribs are just something else. Um, and I always like smoking salmon. Mm. Smoking salmon is dope for the backcountry if you have a little. Uh, if you can seal them up, you know, just in like small little quantities, it's the perfect like energy. Mm. I don't like eating when I'm snowboarding. You know, I get weighed down and I get tired. Mm-hmm. So I usually skip lunch for the most part in the backcountry just because I'm going all day. But a nice little piece of smoked salmon, 
it's like the perfect amount of energy. How long you smoke the salmon for? Um, well, I usually brine it for a day, leave it on open air for a day, and then smoke it. I'd have to look at the recipe. I want to say six to eight hours, but don't 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 quote me on that. But I want to say six to eight hours. Mm. You, you said it's a nice little burst of energy. I was just curious if you know who Max Energy is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not very many people do actually. <laughs> he hasn't had his introduction to the world yet, but Max Energy is. Um, something the world's going to find out much more about in the next little bit. Okay. Yeah. It's still under wraps. Yeah, I mean, we can't really... Yeah, no. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> well, speaking of Max Energy, let's get into a, je- a guest question from Jeff Pincero. Oh, my man. Landvik. Questions. Why Billy? Why Gary? Why Hank? <laughs> Why? <laughs> All good questions. I mean, geez, where do I start? Well, so Gary, I'd say Gary's kind of the starter for that. That was when filming for a scramble. It's hanging with Nathan Yant and Ian Reuter, mm-hmm. two of the most close. <laughs> what homie. was that? That was a homie's <laughs> I meant to hit an air horn, but I hit a homie's cooked. I'm going to have to run that up again. Homie's cooked. I'm, I'm going to hit an air horn, though, just to kind of yeah. make sure we're aligned there. Those dudes also very good with their own lingo. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. Same thing as Scott Liska, mm-hmm. yeah. Those two are definitely some of the funniest guys in snowboarding, you know. Like, having those two together in the backcountry was, uh, you're getting an ab workout, that's for sure. And those guys kind of turned me on to Gary. So we were just hanging out all the time filming, and, and Yant would be like, what's up, Gary? And he just kept calling everybody Gary. And same with uh, Reuter. And I remember one time, one of my friends, was, I was like, dude, you got to meet these guys, man. This guy calls everybody Gary. It's so funny. And he just, he didn't really get it, you know, because, like, who would? And... We were unloading. Yant was pulling all this stuff out of his truck, and my buddy was out back in my house. And he hear he he didn't they didn't see each other, but he knows Yant's there, and he hears Yant. And he's like, "Gary, Gary, Gary, can't you see something?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Oh my god, dude, you're serious." So that's where Gary came from. And after then, I just started calling everybody Gary. Like, look at this Gary. Look at that. Hey, what's up, Gary? And people all over, like, people in Juneau I don't even know call me Gary and stuff Mm. now. Mm -hmm. So, Gary, oh, Hank, that was my alter ego when I used to drink. Mm. Because I've been drinking, like, 11 years, I think. Congrats. 10 or 11 years. Um, So, Hank was my alter ego. And he kind of started in Haynes when we were Hellion one year. I had this weird wig and a... Uh, like a sweatband, like a kind of the color of your guys' the blue on the bomb hole banner. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we were filming a skit, doing some dumb shit and some downtime. And so that just transferred over to when I got super twisted off the booze. You know, people would call me Hank. And then I got tired of Billy. So I started calling people, or I got tired of Gary. So I started calling people Billy's, Daryl's. You know, Donnie's a good one. 
Um, Doug. Doug. Haven't done Doug, really, but, yeah, we can do a Doug. And, um, yeah, man, it's just a much funner way to greet people. You know, it puts everybody on a level playing field is where I'm coming from. <laughs> Excellent point. Yeah. It seems like when you get t- when you were getting tuned up, you'd fall into characters. Like you just put a fucking Viking helmet on or something or just and just like go with it, right? Yeah. It's kind of your shtick. Yeah. You know, I I don't like I said, I don't drink anymore and it was just something I had to cut out of my life for just for my health, but Man, we had some fun. Holy cow. Let's go with a favorite skit. You have many. Mm-hmm. Maybe favorite one, the whole whole production, the way it turned out, the shoot going into it, if you could kind of do the... I want to say... Uh, and so really where the skits really came in was the Sound Straight guys out of Seattle. So it was Kurt Jensen... Eric Brandt, um, that whole crew of homies from Stevens Pass, they were doing skit videos every year. That's what they would do. They did it for like 10 years straight. Mm. And those dudes are like super funny, very creative um, filmers, editors, and they're just hilarious. And so every once in a while, they would just hit me up and be like, hey, do you think you can do a skit? Sure. So I'd say my favorite one was Crazy Kyle Carlisle. And uh, that was um, that was a used car salesman. And they would always find these random places, whether it's like a high-rise building during business hours to shoot a skit with people working. Like they would take me into some office in the middle of nowhere yep, in Seattle in some high-rise building and go shoot the skit. Just jumping around doing backflips in this office and so this one they had worked out a deal with this used car car dealership and i think these guys were uh armenian or something you know like there were some big dudes and there was way too many of them at a used car sales so i don't know what they were really selling there but they said they were selling cars (laughs) and so they let us pretty much do whatever we wanted for a couple hours in there. And uh, so the premise behind Crazy Kyle Carlisle is if you can steal a car from me, it's yours for free. But I get to beat you down in the process. (laughs) So while I'm like freaking doing my, like sliding across cars, slamming Burtner's head in a car door. um, yeah, man, that that one's probably my favorite, and you can see most of these sound straight stuff online. And it's a great like, concept, it is. Oh, dude, one of them they did was like the 520 bridge that goes across Lake Washington. Mm-hmm. They had a Lamborghini, a helicopter, and a cigarette boat going all at once Holy for God. this like l- low budget film. <laughs> And they would always make shit like this happen. And, you know, they had great taste because it was Phil Collins. They played Ooh. in the air tonight, I think, to that Ooh. to that section. And, yeah, I loved working with those guys. It's so much fun. Shout out to the homies. Amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think maybe uh, it could be good to get into just brain farm. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think it's fascinating, you know, there's kind of a standard 
way of snowboard filmmaking where it's like group of like five guys go in the backcountry. You got a filmer, maybe a photographer, a couple riders. You guys are going back there. You guys got like all kinds of crazy camera equipment. Seems like there's like 20 plus snowmobiles heading out every time you guys go out. What was it like with that big of a production crew heading into the mountains? Well, I mean, it didn't start off that big. <laughs> it got exponentially bigger and just kind of exploded during the fourth phase. <laughs> so to start out with Brain Farm, I'm going to adjust my chair. Yeah, adjust the chair. Adjust the chair a little bit. Um, so starting out with Brain Farm, it was, it might have even been the summer after Paradox or like one of those movies. I can't remember which one it was for Standard. And Kurt... Morgan called me up, or he kept calling me, and I wasn't answering my phone. I didn't want to snowboard, really, you know, summertime. I was like, yeah. And he kept leaving me these messages. He's like, dude, we're going to New Zealand. We got this crazy camera. It's like planet Earth meets snowboarding. You should really come with us. You should really come with us. And finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to call Kurt back. And me and Kurt got on the phone, and he convinced me to go. Um, so we went to New Zealand. I had never ridden with Trav. We had met, but I didn't really know him. I didn't know Kurt. I had met him, but I didn't know him. Um, Gabe Langlois was filming with us at that point. I knew Gabe. We were super good friends. <clears throat> so I flew over there, and Travis and John Jay are up north on the North Island surfing and weren't going to be done for like two or three days. So we didn't have anything to do. So I kind of just went down. We were at the heli, uh, we were at the heliport, and I went and looked at this map and looked down at the bottom, and I was like, "What's this little island down here?" And it was Stewart Island, and it's where the Kiwi indigenous birds hang out. <laughs> <laughs> and so, sure as shit, we hop in, we hop in the whip, and we go down there. We take a, uh, we take a ferry across to Stewart Island. And mind you, this is the first time me and Kurt have ever worked together. And so <laughs> the first thing me and Kurt ever shoot is Mark Landvik's Stewart Island exp experience. And if you guys haven't seen it, I think it's in the DVD extras. If that's it, that's all. Go ahead and just watch it. Um, so premise behind that one is me searching for the indigenous kiwi buds. <laughs> and I just <laughs> organically fucking started talking with a New Zealand accent and I'm chasing these, I'm running through the forest with my feet stomping, just like doing stupid shit. We ended up getting really hammered that night <laughs> at the bar with the locals and this one guy, it's like have you ever you guys ever done Zambuco with your short straw? I'm like, what is he talking about? Old fisherman dude he's like, Zambuco with a short straw no what is it and so we all take one with them and as you take a shot of zambuca which is kind of like a licorice liquor um and then afterwards you take the little straw and you and you inhale the fumes and it's kind of like these smelling salts a little bit same reaction just like oh and uh so yeah we filmed that skit that was the first thing that me and kurt morgan ever did together and and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Like, we were we were in love right out the gate, dude. I love I love me some C. Morgan. Um, mm -hmm. 
C. Morgan and T. Rice. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up having a pretty damn good snow year in New Zealand that year. And me, John Jay, Travis, and Lego um, built some pretty badass jumps. And that was kind of the, the first time, that was the first time that Kurt had shot with the Cineflex. And so um, the guy pretty much came to the field, showed him how to use the controls, told him what to do, and then put him on his way. And that was the same dude who filmed, like, Lord of the Rings and stuff. Um, and because it was brand-new technology, I think Planet Earth had just come out maybe two years, maybe a year or two before. Um, and so I had always been into filming and production Travis and Kurt obviously were on another level, but it felt like we were doing something special because when we saw, you know, those clips that night, we were like, holy shit, dude, this is like something else. You're going to be able to watch this and not, not snowboard and be able to look at it and just see the beauty in this, you know, because typically a normal snowboard video, snow porn or whatever you want to call it, the average person can't really relate to it. Just the constant hammers. And so being able to bring this new dynamic and really show the landscape and uh, amplify the writing through this unbelievable cinematography was like, uh, you know, like what a... What a time to be alive, you know? What a amazing place I found myself in with those guys. You know, those dudes are, like, my, still my best friends, some of my best friends out there. And uh, we just got to do something super special. And thankfully for Travis and Kurt, you know, we kept that going, and it only got crazier and crazier. Along those lines of the New Zealand trip, uh, I happen to have a guest question from none other than Travis rice here we go hey bomb hall always a pleasure and an honor to be able to come on and ask a ask a question especially seeing as you have the one and only mr mark landvik in the booth today uh looking forward to this one look let's cut straight to the chase mark many of us are well aware that you have one of the greatest methods in the game if not the greatest and <laughs> you know of course there's a personal preference here you know you into the uh, the method, the nose method, um, or do you appreciate the extra challenge that comes with placing thy hand behind thy foot? Um, I personally was able to witness a few extraordinary superhuman uh, methods, uh, one of which really comes to mind at the end of That's It, That's All, and then the final New Zealand segment where you did a method over that tabletop and literally cranked uh, it beyond 180 degree rotation uh, of the board and brought it back a true like pelvic dislocating uh, <laughs> feet um, I'm curious on maybe things you learned later in life on why you are so predisposed to the superhuman ability to crank these things around mm. well I've got great flexibility, so that's just 
number one. Um, number two, I would say I'd give pretty much all that credit to Jamie Lynn. Watching Jamie, uh, you know, I just wanted to emulate his snowboarding when I was younger. And his method was, you know, kind of the building block for that. Um, and as far as that method in New Zealand is concerned, that's definitely, I'd say that's the best, best method I've ever done in my life. Um, Zimmerman, because the jump was pretty much just, it was a tabletop, but it had a little hip landing. Zimmerman's shooting from across here. And as I do it, my board, here's my tail. I come off, I crank so hard that Zimmerman looks like the jump's coming this way at him. Like, it was messed up, dude. I saw the photo, and I'm like, what the fuck is that, dude? I don't get it, you know? Um, and to be able to capture that with the Cineflex in that, you know, in, in New Zealand with those guys and Travis following it up with that double 1080 was uh, you, you can see the joy that we have when when we circle around that helicopter man that was such a cool day and yeah i just i would say it, i'd i'd give pretty much all that to jamie lynn um, because he was my inspiration and he without knowing him or ever seeing him snowboard he showed me how to do a method and i apparently he doesn't grab between the bindings there's both. both. There's both. Yeah. So yeah, that that throws me off. It threw yeah. me off when when I really learned that, and just because he was always behind the front foot mm -hmm. in my eyes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And he even I think he, he said that, but then there's photo evidence of both. Mm -hmm. But uh, going back, what Travis was allotting to was neither of those answers. He claims that your method is so good because you have an extra vertebrae. That was his reason why your method's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. What's up with that? That's the real reason. Well, my my mom thought I was too short when I was, like, three. So <laughs> we knew this doctor named Billy Guru, and she had him throw an extra vertebrae, vertebrae in my... Uh, he was actually a vet. So i have a cat vertebrae in my neck is the reason why i can kick them out like that is that a real is that real y yes little horse <laughs> horse tranquilizer <laughs> little horse tranquilizer and then they just throw yeah. it in there or what? yeah no i just shoot up with horse tranquilizers <laughs> and get real loose <laughs> <laughs> well i gotta kick my props over on that same method because it it was cranked i mean that's as much of a you know the way I see them do moto whips now. Yeah. That I, I mean, that's what that is. It was cranked and grabbing where you did, like, hard to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was sick. And off a jump like that, like hitting mm -hmm. that fast, that big, and like 15 foot wall, you know, to go straight and do a method off that, that's, that's like one of the hardest. Unfavorable Dude, way, angle too, way easier for, to, yeah. for a bad method. Yeah. Like you're not gonna get that good look like you got without cranking it. Mm -hmm. I think it's yeah, it's way easier to spin like than on a big ass kicker. Fuck yeah, easy, dude. dude. I'd much rather spin first go off anything than a method. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now we got to get into. He did. Uh, I believe he was referring to thy hand. <laughs> I believe he said it was. <laughs> Thy hand. Thy, thy hand. 
He was talking about thy hand in front or behind. Uh, you know, I just kind of want you to walk us through the Lando method, maybe just for people that want to learn with thy hand and everything else. It's a holy place. Well, if you want to really learn, uh, strap your snowboard on at home, get on the carpet, and get on your knees and grab the board where you want to do it and tweak that thing out. Like, literally, that's how I taught myself, like, the form of what I wanted to do for a method. I'd mm. put my snowboard on, snowboard boots on. I'd get on the carpet in the method position, and I would just practice that. Stretching. And it, and it really worked. Did you do that with your switch ones, too? Because I've seen you boost some really good switch ones. Mm, thank you. Um, no, on the switch ones, I just try to get on my toe as much as possible. Like, even on a normal method, I feel like if I'm on my toe edge rather than base flat, it kicks me up way more. Mm. Feels mm. a little bit more out of control. Like, buck. But it gets it up. Like, that makes and sense. And especially on that switch method, like, if you're on your toe and that so thing bucks you, so it's you going lean over, kind of. Yeah. You just get over, yeah, your feet get kind of like, like a Nico mm -hmm. style, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Interesting. Chest, nipples to the floor. I'm yeah. with that. I think I'm going to go learn methods again mm. this year off my toes like that i'm gonna take that counsel well you mm -hmm. i feel like yours that. jones is like you have this like the true skateboarder fundamentals where you snatch melon melon first hold, usually and then mm -hmm. kick mm -hmm. correct and there's so many different stuff now i'm also noticing i'm in a goofy sandwich here you are <laughs> i'm in a bit of a i'm in a bit of a predicament here uh now are you guys impartial to the goofy methods because it's you know you got your jamie you got your peter lines you know, um, who's in the who's in the Goofy Foot Method Hall of Fame for you guys? Lando. Hmm. I mean, for me, it's just hard to even think of anybody but Jamie. Mm -hmm. um, as far as regular footers, Terrier has an insane method. Always has. He's got like the above your head method. He's got cranked out to the side. You know, he he can he can do a couple different forms. Um, Ferguson and Brock have mm. been kicking some out these days that are insane. Um, I don't even know their names, but those Japanese kids in the pipe, like those are like some. Kaishu Ayumu. Yeah. Like Kaishu did that big one. He's a goofy footer too. Is he? Yeah. yeah. All right, dude. He's yeah. in. The, he's on the list. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I'm gonna go with the Jamie. I mean, that it's just a hard. Hard goofy, yeah. but I am definitely partial to a, a goofy method. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, of course, Nico. You know, you know who's goofy method? Travis, dude. Travis is a good method. Yeah, Dale Raber got the dope melon. Mm -hmm. He had like that ill melon mm -hmm. bone down. Yeah. Good talk. Good talk. Uh, what about right. to going back to Brain Farm? I mean, riding with Travis. I mean, how was it just hanging progression-wise? You guys just seem like psychopaths. Like, fuck it, dude. You guys are out of your minds. It seems unstoppable <laughs> yeah. when you guys are together. Yeah. Um, you know, Travis is something else. I. Uh, it's weird because I know that he's just going to do whatever he's going to do, and I know he's going to throw down, um, and I can't compete with that. You know, I, I can't do the tricks that he's doing. Um, but for me, I was always more, 
I always leaned a little bit more to the slower spinning, more style, um, concentrate on the pokes, um, specific about style on tricks. It was always, and that, that probably comes from Jamie in the Northwest um, influence. But, and so I think we kind of, you know, create a little yin and, yin and yang to it a little bit, you know? Because Travis is just, he's going to do the gnarliest thing there is. And in my mind, if I can do the coolest looking thing there is, and, you know, and it's visually a- appealing to somebody, like, that's fine with me. Mm. He's, uh, to keep up with him is a feat in itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, love his passion, you know. Travis is relentless. It's gnarly. It's so gnarly. Like if I'm not feeling it, I'm you know, like I'm 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 fine with hanging it up, you know, calling it a day. Trav doesn't have that at mm. all. He doesn't have it at all. Um he's gonna get the shot no matter what, and I've seen him do it every single time that he puts his mind to it. And there's nobody like him in snowboarding, as far as I'm concerned. The two of you together, that yin, yin and yang, you have, would you find yourself kind of scoping stuff out for each other too? Like you at, would actually find the gnarliest thing on the face and point it out to Traver, Tra, Tra, Travis, excuse me. Travis would find the coolest looking thing pointed out to you. That kind of balance. Um, obviously searching for yourself for the thing that fits your vibe, but I think that's really good. And then also, like, what what were your vibes? I mean, when, you know, essentially your partner like that has no shut-off valve at all. Like, what? How, that's got to position you when you get to the end of your rope, kind of, like, where... And then I guess the extension of that question would be, like, does he support you in that like anxious space you know when he pulls you into it well i think i you know that was like kind of a learned process for me Mm. it was like i'm not always going to be able to do what he's doing and i have to be okay with pulling myself back from that and i can't judge myself or compare myself to him or anybody else because once I start doing that, like, it's just a rabbit hole, you know, especially in the mind game of, like, professional snowboarding on some gnarly stuff in Alaska or Jackson or wherever it is. Um, So, I, yeah, I mean, I think I got pretty good at listening to my inner voice and stepping away. Um, And Trab always, he's always supported me no matter what I do. I mean, I left Alaska for the fourth phase, took off. I think that was hard pill for him to swallow just because, you know, we pretty much were doing that entire film together. Like, I was the one person in that film that was going to go the whole way with Travis on every trip. And uh, so I think that was hard for him, but at the same time, he knew that I there was something going on with me and I needed to figure out and, you know, um, Trav's been an amazing support mechanism for me, um, dealing with the hardships in my life that I have for the last 
seven or eight years. Yeah, I think we should, let's just get right into that one, because I feel like that was maybe a turning point in in, in your career. Okay. Um, well, let's start with a little bit how they trans- transpired to that point. Um, so we had just done about four weeks in Japan, went straight to Russia. Um, I think we did five weeks in Russia, you know, so we were gone for like almost two months, and... Russia was super hard. Like, we, we got beat up. And then when we got busted by, you know, the military being, like, pretty much held hostage by the Russian military and having to sit in the helicopter for, like, four hours and sign papers that say we knowingly flew into military Russian airspace and they gave us a court date. Like, it was, it was gnarly, dude. And, uh, and all... You know, we were trying to go to an island that had a was a volcano that had a lake in the middle of it that had a volcano in the middle of that lake. That's what we were going to go snowboard on. I mean, it was going to be the most epic thing ever, you know. But it was a long jaunt over the ocean. And so, you know, that whole process, that whole trip kind of like started a little anxiety for me. We weren't getting what we wanted. Everybody was getting frustrated. You know, the snow five feet in the valley, and then up on the mountain, it would just the wind would just Siberian winds would rip it in the ocean. So we got back to I got back to Seattle. Had ten days at home before we went to Alaska, and my girlfriend at the time um, made me an appointment with a therapist, <clears throat> and. So I went and met with him, and he gave me an, an SSRI, which is a s- serotonin regulator for depression, anxiety, stuff like that. Um, but if you have predispositions to alcoholism, mental health in your family, drug addiction, um, anything like that, they have to be really careful about who they give it to because it can pretty much throw you into a manic state within like a year. Um, and so that being said, he prescribed me an SSRI, went up to Alaska, and it was just, I just felt like we were like pushing it and pushing it. And, you know, the weather wasn't cooperating. Same thing in Russia, you know, everything that we planned wasn't working. Any, any, uh, any time we'd set parameters of what we were going to do, when we were going to do it and what's going to allow us to do that. When we didn't get what we wanted, we would push those parameters further and further. And it just made me feel uncomfortable every time we did that. And it just kept happening. So we were in Alaska, and, you know, I just was, dude, not having it, man. My uh, anxiety was going crazy. I'd never felt anything like this before, you know, in my whole snowboard career. So one morning we head out to the helicopter, and we get in, and my mind's just not right. You know, I wasn't – you know what it's like when you're you're not thinking – good thoughts in a situation where you need to be on it. You need to have, you know, precision focus. And I didn't have that, and I knew that. So 
I just broke down, dude. Like, I, like, literally started crying. Like, had to get out of the helicopter. Got out of the helicopter, walked away. Kurt's tripping out. He's like, dude, what's wrong? You know, comes out. He's like, ah, it doesn't matter, dude. Do whatever you got to do. Like, it doesn't matter. We're just filming a snowboard film. It's fine. And, you know, so that kind of helped a little bit. And then I took that day and just relaxed. And throughout the day, talked to my ex-girlfriend stuff. You know, it's just like, felt like I couldn't, couldn't shake it. I wasn't going to be able to get away from this feeling I had. Um, and I had always had this, like, inclination that I was going to die in an avalanche for a long time. Um, I had two friends when I was 17 years old that got caught in an avalanche and died like two, three miles from my house at a mountain I look at every day, you know, in Juneau. Um, so I've always had that, like this inner voice, you know, that, and, and it was gnarly. And so I felt like, I felt like I had to leave. If it wasn't an avalanche that killed me, it, you know, that, that anxiety and whatever it was, that was going to kill me in a different way. Um, so I left, and, you know, it's like the hardest decision I've ever had to make in snowboarding, for sure. It's like, dude, I'm walking away from my crew, walking away from my boys, walking away from Travis, everything he's put into it, you know. Like, I had so much on my plate that I just had to, like, walk away from it was it was it was hard dude um but i think it you know it was the right decision for me at that time and that's what i needed to do and I, stuff like that you can't look back on because you're going to second guess yourself forever um you know you're just going to beat yourself up time and time again because i could sit there all day long and say dude you would have been fine look at they killed it after you left and they did they got snow it was epic and I missed out, and but that was that wasn't the point, you know. Um, I needed to figure out what was going on with myself, and and I think, you know, part of the process of that was I had quit drinking like a year or two before that. Um, you know, we grew up partying. We're in snowboard industry. You know, you, booze is around. Growing up in Alaska, you know, I started drinking when I was probably 16. Um, I have alcoholisms, something I've seen very upfront and personal throughout my whole life. Um, and I, you know, I felt that I was getting to a point in my life where these hangovers were lasting longer and longer. You know, like if you have a two day hangover, do that once or twice a week, you know, it's half your life if you think about it, wasting, being feeling like shit. Mm. And I was like, well, do I want to choose snowboarding or do I want to choose alcohol? And it was a pretty easy thing because I had always, I don't know, I felt like I'm a super, I'm a pretty honest person. I'm a very honest person, straight up with people, no bullshit. And um, any time that I'd ever been ashamed of myself in my life was when alcohol was involved mm. you know I don't I can't think of something that I did that I was ashamed of when I was sober you know ever and 
you know, I I wasn't an alcoholic in the terms that you would what you picture an alcoholic is, but there there's it's such a broad brush, right? Um, and I've had alcoholism in my family, and I've seen what it can do, and I didn't want that for my life. I knew at some point in my life I would have to quit because I didn't want to be like that. And not to mention just like, you know, none of this stuff gets talked about, like how bad alcohol truly is for you. We have all these things that are illegal. You can't do this, can't do that. It's like alcohol is celebrated, and it's which whatever. I don't, I'm not putting anything against it. Like I had a great time. I love it. But an education when I was younger probably would have been a good thing. You know, um, like just blacking out, you know, like I blacked out a lot. And if you look into the science of what blacking out is, it's 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 pretty heavy. It's not something to be taken lightly. And, you know, none of this stuff's ever talked about when you're younger. So I think like it's unfortunate that we don't talk about it um, because I think alcohol's perfectly fine for some people, perfectly fine for a lot of people, and for a lot of people, it's not. Um, and that, it's not a big deal. That's just what it is. Um, and, you know, especially walking away from alcohol, it's when people have known you like that your whole life, it's it's tough. It's, it's tougher on other people, I think, almost, you know, for them, like, they don't understand. What do you mean you're not drinking? So like almost offended. I did that for a month once. Yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, exactly. And they get a lot of people. Some of my best friends would get upset when they were drinking and I wasn't and like had this chip like I was trying to be better than them. You know, when it's like, dude, I'm not. (laughs) It has nothing to do with you. I guarantee you that I'm doing this for myself. Like, I hope that one day you'll be able to understand that. And, you know, everybody has. It just takes time. Just because just cause you're going to change doesn't mean everybody's going to, you know, it's, uh, it's just going to take time for people to understand where you're coming from. And it did, and, you know, it's been good for me. And so that was, I think, a catalyst of, that anxiety that I started feeling Russia and Alaska, not having that alcohol to fall back on, you know, coming back from a big day out in the back country or out in the heli. Cause this is the, a first, a first full season. Yeah. Sober since you started kind of dabbling with yeah. booze. Yeah. yeah. Since snowboarding pretty since much. Snowboarding. Yeah. Staying in an industry too. I want to point out that is very, influenced by alcohol and trying to clean up it's, it's i mean that's a punk rock move honestly. <laughs> it is yeah. feels like it yeah you know? yeah for sure um and i guess yeah the, i didn't have i always had that to fall back on that crutch like if i had a heavy day if I got swept in the abbey anything like that you know go have a couple beers some seizures whatever get lit up real quick and it would it would kind of dissipate but it would never leave you know it would just hide itself and so 
all those years of just kind of pushing that stuff to the side started to slowly catch up with me. And uh, so I leave Alaska, go back home. Um, my girlfriend at the time had just finished med school and she moved from Seattle up into my, up into Bellingham. Um, and she was going to start working at a doctor's a practice. She was going to take over his practice, a naturopathic doctor. And we kind of, she just, you know, we ended up breaking up. It was something she wanted to do out of nowhere, and it was super hot, heavy on me. Like, it hit me hard. And, you know, I was, I was in a tough spot. And then a couple months down the road, it was like a light switch just clicked. And it was like I had energy. I was stoked. I was motivated. And things just started happening. And it was... I'll just pre-reference um, what it was is that SSRI had caught up. And so all those predispositions I have were the perfect makeup for me to get thrown into a manic episode, which is the beginning mm -hmm. of a bipolar uh, prognosis. So it was crazy, dude. For four or five months, I was running as hot as you can go. Like my mind is racing. Like, you know that Neuralink thing that Elon Musk has? That's like what, I, it felt like I was plugged into something that gave me a higher mental state. It was insane. My creative capacity was at an all time high. I started Ingrained Ink. Um, with James Johnson, a friend of mine from, from Alaska. He does traditional clinket, form line, carving, and painting. Um, I, Jamie Lynn was staying at my house for a lot of the summer. Matt French was coming over. So we had this awesome group of dudes just kind of like this artistic flow going. And it was, you know, looking back on it, it was super gnarly, but at that time it was so awesome like it's they describe it as euphoric because like you're literally i like went to a library grabbed a physics book that i just randomly saw started reading it at home and like i was understanding physics like mm. the basic fundamentals Crazy. of physics but never diving into it as a young kid being able to understand that it was awesome so I was like into space stuff. I was in, I got started picking up cars. I literally bought like seven cars that summer, old cars, like 66 Chevy Stepside, you know, a Dodge Dart. I'd never worked on cars, but I had people around me that knew how to. So I just kind of went into it. And like, you know, one of the main things of like having a manic episode is you're, you're, you talk very fast. A lot of times people don't even understand you. Um, you're spending tons of money. You're staying up. Like, I would stay up for three days straight and not be tired. It was crazy. Um, 
and you end up, and I think it's really hard on the people that know you and the people that you're really close to because you're on such a level that if something doesn't work out, you don't care. You don't, like, hang on to it. You just, all right, that didn't work. Let's do the next thing. And that kind of, I think the relationships kind of take that same toll. It's like if people are worried about you and they're concerned, a lot of times what they get is like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, whatever, later. You know, and they don't know how to deal with it because you're literally on fire. Like I was moving so fast, uh, spending so much money. And you find yourself surrounded by people you normally wouldn't have. Sometimes they're great people. You know, I met a lot of awesome people during that time and some people that aren't, you know, some people want to take advantage of you. And uh, it was for everything that I've gone through and how gnarly it got after that, you know, all that stuff, like ingrained ink, the relationships that I formed with James, the stuff that he's doing now, none of the stuff that we've done together with ingrained ink or any of that would have happened without me going totally fucking crazy that summer, mm. <laughs> you know? So it's like anything, um, there's, there's good and bad, yin and yang, you know, you, we wouldn't know what, we wouldn't know what good was if, if we didn't get beat down, if we didn't get fucking smack down we don't know what true happiness is unless we find the bottom you know and so i'm at the top having the time of my life like about an excavator like i mean <laughs> great purchase <laughs> it was a great purchase. <laughs> i see yeah tons of reason in there uh sidecar russian sidecar that is that's wild. a must have that's a must have <laughs> can't live without that I mean, let's go till we get something that doesn't make sense. I mean, dude, you, yeah, it, it was crazy. And I met this guy down the street from me. His name's Stan. He's about 70 years old, and he would do estate sales. And so I would go to his estate sales, and I, would just, I was just buying so much crazy stuff, dude. Like, you should see some of the stuff I have. But it was, I didn't need any of it. It was just like, like I said, you spend a lot of money. And I spend a lot of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in a matter of months without even knowing. Mm. Um, and so things started to come to a head. And um, I found out that my ex-girlfriend at the time had gotten pregnant with her new boyfriend pretty recent, you know, pretty quickly. And so that was pretty... At the time, I was still in a manic state, so it was, like, somewhat easy to swallow. But, you know, further down the line, um, it was about four or five months when I started to run out of steam. And so when you're in that manic state, typically your depressive state that lasts after that is going to be at least twice as long. And mine lasted at least over a year, that first one. Because this can happen again and again. And it happened a couple times. Um, before I got, you know, kind of level myself out to where I don't have these ups and downs. And I remember, like, it was like I woke up out of a dream. My dad had come down, and Jess was super worried about me as well, so she was at my house, and I remember my dad just, like, 
in the kitchen the kitchen countertop was stacked a foot tall just a mound of bills that i had just not even looked at for like five months like didn't even care you know didn't even didn't even matter like and it was just like i woke up and i was starting to come to like what the fuck happened to me in these last four months you know and it started to get really scary and i remember sitting in my living room and it was like I was watching myself from above, sitting there kind of just like, you know, with my head between my legs and my Jess, Jess and my dad talking like, what are we going to do? Like, they were, they were pretty scared. I was freaked out because it was getting bad and I didn't know how to, like, my breathing was going crazy. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe and my mind was just running a million miles an hour and I, it was just... I mean, depression's one thing, but, like, if anxiety, when you have it at, like, a, when it's, when anxiety gets bad, it can be, like, worse than depression. Because it's, depression, you're low, and you just sit there, but anxiety feels like you can just keep digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and so they decided that we should go to the hospital, you know. Uh, so we went to the ER. And I proceeded to sit in a hospital bed for six hours waiting to get help. And meanwhile, there's a girl next to me who's like 17 years old with her mom. She had been going through some anxiety, depression, uh, trouble with her friends. She had been cutting herself. She was, you know, she was pretty much suicidal from what I heard. I mean, we were, there's sheet between us so I could hear everything they're saying and the social worker had gone up to her and it was weird how she was handling this 17 year old girl that obviously needed help it was like she was trying to pressure her into the answers that she wanted um, in the direction she wanted things to go and I, I felt so bad for this girl and the social worker left, and her and her mom are talking, and she's just like, let's go. We're leaving. This is ridiculous. Like, she's not helping us at all. And, and that, was, that was really sad to hear that. And when the social worker came back to me, the conversation was about a minute long, and it was like, if you're not going to commit suicide tonight, then there's nothing we can do for you. That was it, sitting in a bed for six hours. Yeah. So hearing that and then listening to that 17-year-old girl, I was just like, the fuck is going on, dude? And, and I get, Washington State has the 49th worst mental health in, in the United States, mental health care, which is crazy to me. And so, yeah, it... So that process began of me trying to pretty much build myself from the ground up again. And that's what I've been doing for eight years. I want to hear more about those first steps and where that went. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, anytime you have a mental health issue, you know, you're basically, you're going to want to, deal with a therapist 
a nurse practitioner and your general practice doctor? So I got a nurse practitioner who knew what she was talking about and like literally that's all she does for a living is designate the right meds to the people with, you know, um, what they're dealing with at the time. And within, within 15 minutes of a conversation with her, she, you know, said that, yeah, diagnosed with bipolar. And I had already been doing research, so I had kind of, like, had a feeling that's what the answer was going to be when I went in there. And, you know, my, I remember my mom being super happy because they knew what it was, mm-hmm. um, which was, yeah, it was good. But, I mean, I, was, I didn't have the same enthusiasm <laughs> sure. uh, just because I knew there's, it wasn't going to be an easy road. There's not a magical pill for any of it. And even if there is a magical pill, eventually that magical pill is not going to work anymore, and you're going to have to find another one. How old are you at this time? Sorry. Um, I was 30, 35. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, getting on the right meds was obviously the first step because I needed to be able to level myself out. Um, She didn't want me to go back into a place where I'm going to have these crazy ups and downs, you know. Even if I was stagnant, even if I was depressed, if I was at least flat and not going up and down, you know, that's at least a, a baseline starting point that we can work from. And so I had to pretty much re redesign my whole life, how I ate, how I slept, you know, these medications I was taking, the, my sugar intake, um, meditation, mindfulness, um, breath work, and there's just so much there's so much that you can do to help yourself, but there's only so much you can, you know, do at one time. You can't do everything at once. And it was definitely a learning curve. Like I said, my depression that year lasted like 13 or 14 months. And so obviously that took a toll on my snowboarding. Um, I would have crazy anxiety about snowboarding. I would I'd wake up 30 to 40 times a night, drenched in sweat every night for months. Um, I'd wake up instantly and be drenched in sweat and have to run to my toilet in my bathroom and throw up every morning for months straight. Every time I would go snowboarding, I would throw up before I went. Like, go to bald face, throw up in the morning at the hotel before I got on the boat and went up, you know. Um, Brad Andrews, um, who's a photographer up in Bellingham, he was, you know, there there were certain people that were kind of crucial in helping me get back to where I needed to be. Brad was one of them. Because um, he wasn't afraid to talk about this stuff. He kind of understood what I was going through, and, you know, he would... Even if we would make plans to go up and I would bail because I was, 
anxiety or whatever it was that I couldn't get myself to go, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't hold it against me. He made it, you know, he made it okay to, to, uh, I guess to feel like that. And so he would take me up and on the way I'd have to have him pull over because I would throw up before we got up there. Once we got up there and we started snowboarding, it was fine. It was on. Like, it didn't, you know, everything faded away, but it was that mental space that I couldn't get out of that I was stuck in for so long. And so it was obviously really hard for me because one of the coolest things about snowboarding is being able to look at a piece of terrain, at least for me, look at a piece of terrain and find my line, figure out what I'm going to do, what trick I'm going to do, visualize it in my head, and to be able to do it exactly like I visualize it or better, you know, is the best feeling in the world. And I'm I'm just used to that. So having this total head change um, in a time in my career when I was kind of at a pinnacle, you know, working on the biggest action sports film of all time mm-hmm. with my best friends, and I couldn't even go out. Travis had to beg me to come down to Jackson to shoot in fourth phase. Beg me. And finally I gave in. I'm like, all right, I'll fly down. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, well, it still is, you know. It's it's an ongoing battle, but I've I've – I feel like I'm on the right track, and even though it's took me a long time to get there, you know, here I am. Wow. Well, first first things first, I just want to say thanks for sharing uh, your journey. I think that's really important that you did that. Uh, and I think it's really important for the people listening. You know, what I hear when I'm listening, you know, you talk is it it's like a story about hope in some ways because you know there's people that are going through the same types of struggles whether it's about with alcohol abuse or crippling anxiety or depression or whatever you know i think it's it's awesome that you came on here and talked about that stuff uh the first thing that comes into my mind which i'm sure you get asked all the time is as you're talking to i wonder about the PTSD factor as far as being strapped in, it's almost like you're going to war, right? Like this whole th- Alaskan face can rip out and you can die. Like, and it's the same, the same things you see with people that go to war and then they get triggered. Like, do you think there's a correlation there? No, I've definitely been diagnosed with PTSD. Oh, you have? From, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and so like, we were talking about earlier when I had that feeling that I was always going to die in an avalanche, you know, (laughs) think of holding on to that for 20 years, riding terrain that can avalanche at any time. Um, and so I've been, I've been caught in two avalanches in, in my career, one in Haynes where I was buried to my neck and only saying sticking out was my head. Um, then that other one, which was in the art of flight in Canada where I got, ripped down and thrown off that cliff um yeah there's definitely ptsd and i think you know we're, we're so accustomed to thinking ptsd is in a in a sense of war you know in a military sense 
but it's, you know, it can happen in so many different ways. And so it was a trip for me to hear that, and it, but it made sense, you know? All this stuff I've been holding in and trying to, like, push away. And as soon as I didn't have that alcohol to, to hide it anymore, you know, it all came to the surface, and it was like a perfect storm, you know? Me quitting drinking, uh, Jess breaking up with me, us filming the fourth phase, super high stress, way too many people, way too much money, too much going on, not enough snowboarding for, for me. You know, it's like, it, 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 it was, like I said, it was a perfect storm. If I didn't quit drinking, I might not have a bi bipolar diagnosis, but I'd be an alcoholic and, I've had a lot, and I would have a lot of other problems, as well as maybe still having this mental health issue too you know um and so i feel blessed that it happened i wouldn't take any of it back you know just like i don't drink anymore i wouldn't take any of me my partying days back because it was fucking awesome we had the best time ever like hands down um but i also feel like with this mental health thing i've become a much stronger person, a much better person. Um, I, I truly understand what empathy is now. I had empathy before, but not like I do now, you know, because I was in a situation where nobody knew what I was thinking. And I know what that feels like now. And I know that nobody knows truly what's going on with somebody else unless you really take the time to dive in and help them. And, you know, it, it was kind of funny, too, because this two-year film project that started this whole thing off ended up being like a four-and-a-half-year project just because we got so beat down by conditions and everything else. And so Travis and I were on the premiere tour, and it was even before the premiere tour started, like, I'd hit him up. It's like, how's the movie looking, dude? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, I don't know, dude. That doesn't help me. Like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know, because both of us were the same way. It was, like, such a hard four years that we didn't know how to feel about it. And by the time the L.A. premiere came around... It was kind of like we had this kind of epiphany, like, you know what? There's nothing we can do now, and it's all on the table, and we need to enjoy this for what it is, regardless of if people like it, if the critics like it, if it's as well-received as our last two films. Like, it doesn't even matter. And we went to Europe and did the whole tour, and our last stop was in, uh, was in Germany, I think. And we were sitting down for dinner. And Travis, being Travis, you know, makes a little speech and stuff. He's good at making speeches and, like, bringing it all together. And so afterwards, I said a few words, and I was just like, I remember when we were in Japan, and we were hanging out with this monk. And Travis had asked this monk, he's like, what's the key to happiness? And the monk said, 
there is no happiness. Happiness and sadness are the same thing. But without happiness, you don't know what sadness is. Without sadness, you don't know what happiness is. And we didn't really, I mean, we heard him, you know, but we didn't really get it. Like, until I was in Germany and, you know, I was like, we went through the hardest four years of our lives, getting beat down, not sure what's going on. I've been through the ringer, that's for sure. And maybe I'm, I'm not happy with how I snowboard or that I didn't snowboard enough in the film and that I wasn't there for the whole thing. Um, but in Germany, man, we were so happy. We were just, we were stoked. And it wasn't because the movie was awesome. It wasn't because we put out the best film we ever had. It was because we put everything into it. We got beat the fuck down, and we got back up, and we we're on the other side. And now we knew what happiness truly was because we had such a battle to even get to that point, you know. And uh, that was a really cool moment. Wow. <laughs> fucking, wow, dude. Kind of deep. <laughs> it's perfect. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for the steps. I think the steps of are very helpful for people because it's, I mean, you know it. When you're faced with making a choice, it's hard. It's hard to know to even, like, look to, uh, you know, your general doctor and mm -hmm. say what's up or your girlfriend or brother or family or parents or whoever it is. Like, that's a hard move. And then to take them further and it, people get lost in it. So I appreciate you being real clear on those steps. Yeah, man. And I, at this point, I enjoy it. Um, every time I've been forthcoming about what I'm going through or what I've gone through. Um, the response that I get from people is overwhelming, you know, and uh, I know it helps people so much. And it helps me. Um, but I think it helps other people even more. And uh, I don't know, that's, that's a good feeling. You know, people reach out to me like all the time on social media and ask me for advice or what to do or how to help a family member. And, you know, a lot of times it's just stuff about them. Like they're going through the same shit I went through and they don't have anybody to talk to because the way we interact with people, it's easier to not show your cards, you know. And through this whole process, I've understood that it's easier for me to show my cards, and it's healthy. And it's definitely not something you should be ashamed of, mm -hmm. you know? Good for you. Because you're going to, if you can persevere and find your way through it, you're going to be a better, stronger person, and you're going to be able to help yourself and in turn help other people even more. Mm. And, uh, wow very very profound and i think 
There's something extremely powerful. And, you know, people like yourself, you're Mark Landvik. We put you on a pedestal. You're in fucking that's it, that's all. You're in, like, we've seen you do the gnarliest shit that's superhuman. And then for a civilian, you know, really any anybody that's, like, to know, oh, he he has problems with drinking, like me. Oh, shit. And he quit drinking. I can quit drinking. Oh, he, he struggles with whatever, depression, whatever it, be, it is. Like me, it, it's, it's really inspiring to know that the people that we look up to sometimes struggle just like a normal civilian. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe you're not going to be able to do like that frontside three off a 60-foot cliff and stomp it. But if you're listening to this and you hear me talk about what I've gone through and what I'm going through, you can you can follow those steps and do exactly what I did and be able to come out on top, you know? And, like, that's... I don't know, there's something... Whatever, we're just riding a snowboard on snow. Yeah, you're cool. You're you're good at snowboarding. That's fine. But at the end of the day, there's there's a lot more going on in life, and uh, and people need help. And you know they don't have the resources these days. Unfortunately, with everything we have, all the technology and all the shit we got going on in our world, mental health is still rising you know and it's at a kind of an astounding rate and mm-hmm. scary mm-hmm. we don't figure it out like see where our country's gonna be in 25 years it's not gonna be good mm-hmm. if generational die off almost yeah. yeah and that stuff's passed down mm-hmm. like i said you know it's generational um and i hope we can get to a point where there's no stigma behind it because I don't feel like I'm not scared to talk about it because of how somebody's going to look at me, you know, mm. and I feel everybody should be able to, to feel that way. Absolutely. It's an injury. And and yeah. the, the other thing, too, is like what the statistic says that uh, eight, males at 18 to 40 or 18 to 45 have the highest suicide uh, susceptibility out of any, like, demographic of people. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, because... I mean, dudes aren't supposed to talk about, like, feelings and shit like that. You know what I mean? But it's like, well, that ain't working. So yeah. that we, we proved that ain't working. And then you take snowboarding, our industry, where you fucking punt your head off the ground, which is probably a factor in some of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And you just are, you know, partying is just fucking immortalized. Like, you, you it is just, it is... It, in, encouraged partying is encouraged mm-hmm. punting your head off the ground and being a hero is encouraged and uh you know these highs are extremely high you go you go hit a giant cheese wedge it's fucking exhilarating you land and you go to the bar and you're just and and then you go you know these peaks and valleys and smacking your head off the ground like our our whole industry is just a is kind of a a melting pot for a lot of these ingredients so it's great to talk about it and be like you know, you're not you're not alone sitting here dealing with 
these types of things. It's something that just needs to be talked about. So I'm just so glad we're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I definitely have, you know, a couple of ringers and concussions and stuff that I'm sure was part of that perfect storm, you yeah. know, that added to all this. Even literally right when we're in the middle of the fourth phase, when we were in Jackson, when Travis had begged me to come down, I came down and they were filming the spot where Gooch and Pat Moore and Trav and uh, maybe Cam Fitzpatrick were sledding, like four people sledding. And so me and I was like, Fergie, let's go do some free runs, dude. Sick little zone. And I, we went and did, took one run, came back to hit this hip that I had hit before and did a front five off of it, but just kind of got bucked and stalled out. And I hit my knee on my face and I was out for like two minutes. And those guys took a while to get to me. Like I woke up like, wow, oh, I'm snowboarding. I didn't even know, you know, started snowboarding, hit another tree, passed out again. And that was a heavy, heavy, heavy concussion. Um, and so I should have been done for the year, but I wasn't because I was in my mind. I had already taken that other break, you know, and left the team behind and gone to deal with my personal shit. And we were going up to Alaska again two weeks later. And so I should have called it for the season, but I didn't. I went up to Alaska and, you know, met with, Trav and Victor De La Rue. Um, and me and Victor, when we were hitting this jump, and it was like bombing a mountain. And the top part of it was just chunder. And I got off the track a little bit and did the gnarliest tomahawk I've ever done. You know, and I'm just holding my head. On the way to the jump? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I got wrecked. And, you know, that that point jk who's the director executive director i believe um he's like dude you gotta like chill you can't you can't snowboard anymore and i was like all right you're right and i think i took that night off and that's the night trav got in that avalanche in valdez uh and so he flew, I think he went to California, did a bunch of rehab at Red Bull. I mean, he was, he got fucked. It was super scary. And I went to Anchorage and got a bunch of MRIs and CAT scans, stuff like that. And, you know, the doctor's just like, you need to take it easy for like six months at least. And I flew to Hawaii chilled and uh but yeah we don't have you know we don't have hired people like you know in football that are checking concussions and making sure you're not even when you take a beater like a hard landing or something you know like that concusses you a lot of times and Mm -hmm. you don't even know it so um, you know, thankfully I had JK there to be like, you need to chill. And I said, okay. And we call him, you know, the general because he's kind of like a general. And so I listened to him. And I'm sure that didn't help with all the stuff that was going on with me and prior, you know. Um, so, yeah, 
it's uh it's been fun though <laughs> Fucking hey. well the thing too with our what we do is like you know like i i listened to this thing with ditka i think it was ditka it was like a 30 for 30 and he's like sure my brain's a little foggy and sure my bones ache but like if i go back in time I go twice as hard, and you're like, "Fuck yeah!" You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and, and yeah. so, like with snowboarding, the thing also thinking back, sure, looking back on it, like it's easy in hindsight to say, "Oh, I, I should have chilled." But then you also have to put yourself in those shoes. Like the drive to get the shot outweighs you caring if you get hurt, and how kind of special is that in a way? You know what I mean? I mean? It always outweighs it. Yeah, every always. single time. Yeah. Totally. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. You're like, I would rather be hurt and know that I tried the trick than be like calling yourself off. It's almost, it's almost like a more relieved feeling. You're like, ah, yeah. I'm fucked up, but at least I went for it. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which is twisted, but kind of beautiful. Maybe? Well, the twice as hard comments, it just makes too much sense because, you know, hindsight pulls you off of things and gives you that I should have or I. I I should have done this. I should have done that. But it's also like, you know, I even the, in the success, you're like, I should have just done the 10 instead of the 9 that day. Mm-hmm. And you have something that's, you know, cemented in and you're happy about it. But even still, way down the road, you're like, I should have just kept going. <laughs> Why did I wrap it up right mm-hmm. there, you know? But we're always walking that line, too, of of like things going wrong or things going good. And that's every session of everything that we all do individually, right? And so calling it is the hardest part because often you call it and you walk away. And what did they do? They went and murked it. They got a bunch of shots, and that's hard to sit on. But that doesn't mean that you made the right or the wrong choice, right? Like you pulled out what would have been your story had they yeah. still murked it, you know, and that, and you don't know, and it doesn't matter because, yeah, that's not the point. The difference between yes. good and and that's gone wrong. I mean, that's what my therapist told me, you know, when I uh, when we were talking about that, me leaving. She's like, "Look, you might have died in an avalanche, maybe you wouldn't have, but you being there, it could have been the equivalent of being in an avalanche mm-hmm. to you mentally." and to where you're at right now. Like, you could have done a lot of damage to yourself staying in that situation. So don't ever look back on it like you did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's, yeah, it's easy to do that. Um, too easy. Every time I've gotten in an avalanche, those two times, those two gnarly ones, I've, I had a notion that it was gonna break. We had a, we had the intel, we knew that it could happen. And we, you know, let the process of getting the shot outweigh the dangers. Which, I mean, we're doing that every single day anyway. Even if the telltales of a weak layer in the snow aren't there. Mm -hmm. But I definitely know those two instances, my, in my, you know, in the back of my mind, there was something saying, be careful, be really careful. And those two times, you know, or the two times, it's like, it's hard to trust your gut. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. And 
you know, that's like what I had to do in Alaska. I had to trust myself and be like, I know you guys don't understand any of this, but I'm going to walk away because that's what I have to do right now. And I hope you understand it. If you don't, I'll tell you too bad, dude. you know, like I, I'm sure you will someday, but for right now, I, I, I just have to leave. A hundred percent. And, and I, I heard this recently and I, it definitely resonates, but it's like when you do what's best for you, you're also doing what's best for everybody else. Like you have to do what's best for you. Cause if you're trying to do what's best for everybody else all the time, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, like you got to take care of yourself before you take care of somebody else. And, and it's, yeah, you should be proud of that. I mean, it, obviously it's the right decision at the time. And for what it, you know, the journey you've been on, it was perfect. You know, and I think that's important stuff to talk about. Yeah. And it's important for you to be able to look back on that stuff and be proud of your decisions and, you know, you know, take ownership of them. Say, look, and it's it's hard, dude. It wasn't easy. That's the hardest thing I had to do. Walk away from that. You know, you know what, though? Like, here, here's what I'm curious about. You, you were, you were pinnacle snowboarder. Like, if you were to look at, I want to be a pro snowboarder. This is my goal in life. You're filming for Brain Farm in the biggest blockbuster snowboard films that have ever been made and probably will ever be made in the history of snowboard. You have money probably coming out of your ass from the dream sponsors. You're not even riding for whack companies. You're riding for the, your dream sponsors, dream movie. You're at the top of the the totem pole or the you're the top of the pinnacle of snowboarding as far as professional snowboarding. You know what I mean? You're at, you're in that little window and like, how happy were you when you were there? Mm. In that very moment. When I, when we were in Alaska, I wasn't happy. I was internalizing everything, you know, every moment I was thinking things that weren't productive and weren't good for my mental health. And it wasn't fun. It was horrible. That being said, all of the shit before then was really fun. You know, we had a great time in Japan. Even though we got beat down in Russia, we had awesome time. And looking back on Russia now, it's like that was when we were there, it was the worst trip in the world. Mm-hmm. Now you look back at it and it's like, dude, that trip was dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Respect. It's key. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, but yeah, things aren't as always, always as shiny as they look from the outside. Yeah. Which is fine. Just is what it is. That's the, that's the human nature, mm-hmm. you know, make things look better than they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Polish a turd, if you will. Yeah. yeah. One trick that comes to mind, I know to, I, to derail a little bit, but when I think brain farm, of all the f- psychotic bangers you guys did, the Miller flip on the trees. <laughs> we gotta talk about that, dude. It was fucked. Yeah, that's like a. I don't, is was that real? You know that mm-hmm. kind of feeling. Um, yeah, so that was seriously. I don't know. Top three shots of my life. You know. Dope. Top th- that that's got to be number one. Just because it's just ridiculous, the camera work with the trick. Um, and that was kind of funny, too, because I had never done a... That was the first Miller flip I've ever done. Jeez. <laughs> ever. <laughs> better, better word. Try it. 
And I was hitting this jump, and I think Ian Walsh was up there. Trav had brought Ian Walsh up there, the surfer dude, and so he's just watching us hit this stuff. And, and Trav showed up late, and I'm like, I'd been sessioning for a while, and I was like, dude, I think I want to try a Miller flip on this tree. And he's like, you know, kind of gave me a weird look, like, really? And I was like, yeah, I think I can do it. So I went for it one try, and I didn't get my body extended. You know, I had my hand on it, but my ass was kind of at the tree still. And I was like, dude, I think I have this. And the next try was the money shot. It was unreal. I mean, that jump is so steep. You can't even see the tree at the bottom. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the tree is pretty tall. It's like 25, 30-foot tree. And the jump's 15 to 20 feet tall, almost vertical. Um, and that's another thing I love about snowboarding. Like a moment like that, when everything slows down, you know, you hear, you hear about this thing where it's like time slows down, but it truly does. It was slow-mo, and I can just still picture seeing the top of that tree, slowly putting my hand on it, extending... And as I'm floating away and I let go of the tree, I'm like, you better fucking land this thing, dude. And I'm telling myself that as I'm floating down because I know how serious, like, I might never get my hand on that thing ever again like I just did. I better put this thing down. And you can tell in the landing, I'm fighting. Like, I had to, like, throw a couple bull rider moves. And, uh, dude, yeah, I it's one of those things you can't ever do again. I won't ever be able to do that again. And that's that's the coolest thing about it, right? Um, yeah, dude. I remember Kurt was just shitting his pants. He was so fired up, <laughs> dude. Because like, he had this crazy move, you know. We had brought the jib out there. So it was, he was on it. I don't know, 12 to 18-foot jib. I can't remember. We had 300 pounds of weight that we had sledded into the backcountry to Dude. be able to counterbalance the camera. Mm-hmm. And so Kurt's got – he's got some dude – I think Palmer was running the jib, and so Kurt's, like, freaking yelling at him, push in, push in, and we weren't sure if he got the shot. And I'm, like, hiking up or getting snowmobiled up, and Travis and Kurt are looking at the shot. And Travis just like, dude. You just got one of the fucking hammers of the movie. And I was like, all right, I can deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) The man himself, too. (laughs) Dude, it's it's like, it's actually like almost absurd. Like, it's like you guys are just hauling ass at a cheese wedge, like, and hurling yourself into a tree. (laughs) Like, it's it's like, you know, a normal person, like, Miller flips about a 10-foot tall, like, pine tree, and they're like, oh, we can use that, right? It's just, like, fucking, (laughs) it's insane. You guys did a lot of stuff into trees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of trees. Yeah, then you guys just ran that up. It seems like you guys just ran smashing into trees up for a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. It's like new tricks. Every time you hit that tree, <laughs> just smack it and see what sure happens, you know? It's kind of like bowling. Yeah. Just roll it down there, see what happens. Dude, yeah. You can always find something interesting to do when you're bonking off a tree, especially with your with Trav. Mm-hmm. And 30 feet up. Yeah, and I think me and Trav just kind of got into that, mm-hmm. like bonking shit and like having something that 
like steep where you have that float and you can do that, it's too much fun. And then there's the one where he does like a cab five or front five bonk, and then you jump out of the tree and it's all slowed down. <laughs> and with John Jay doing the John- freaking oh, angry sh- white man dance yeah. in the yeah. background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was on the Jimmy Kin- uh, Con- Conan. I think okay. that was on Conan. Yeah. Trav went on Conan with yeah. that, and they showed it, and they call it the falling leaf. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah. one, one other thing we didn't talk about, with tr- that's it, that's all, is like, that was pre-drone. So if you watch that, I was actually watching that with my girlfriend last night, because I'm like, this is a movie that anybody can appreciate. Doing my research, I'm like, that's a helicopter that's filming another helicopter. That's not mm-hmm. a drone, <laughs> right? <laughs> Heli on heli on heli. We used yeah. to joke about that. Ah, oh, the heli on heli on heli movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. Yep. <laughs> you guys you... still run it. You just talked about it, you know, just up there in Jackson now. You got the E-foil, the surfer, and then the, you know, everyone's on someone. It's yeah, good. we're just trying to get dynamic in every aspect yeah. of life, you know, complicate things <laughs> to <laughs> the absurd amount. Everything's choreographed. Burn some budge as well while you're at it. Burn a For little sure. bit of budget. Yeah. Like well, usually the budget's over, or the we always we probably have too much budget, so we need to burn anyway. Mm. Mm. That's a good. Because it's easier to go get too much budget than to get not enough, and then have to figure out where you're getting the rest of it from. Mm. You know, I'm curious. You know, we always talk about cheddar bisque on this show. We talk about uh, financials. A lot of people really don't like that. I've noticed too, which is kind of fun as well to watch a guest squirm. But um, <laughs> what what I was wondering is when you, let's just say like peak, you know, brain farm year, like in terms of just like heli budget, mm. you got a number of like uh, what you kind of maybe sent in for some invoices or travel budget you burned through or something. For like the, for the, like year? the year? Yeah, for the year. Mm. 50 to 75 for sure. You yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just in the copter. Yeah. Probably more, but I'd say it's safe number. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. I mean, especially when I'm doing standard, filming with them, you know, doing a two-week-long heli trip in Terrace, and then going with Brain Farm in the spring in Valdez, and yeah. I would say 50. Hmm. I think it's gotten more expensive, though. True. It must have. Yeah. So talking about burning budge, you know, like with big contracts, big budge burning, burning of the budge, there's burning bush and there's burning budge. They're very similar. Burning budges. (laughs) Burning budges. So there's a lot of pressure when you're making a bunch of money from sponsors. There's expectations. How is dealing with the the pressures of big time professional snowboarding. Um, I think I did pretty well at it for a while, you know. Um, just because with standard films we had just such a rhythm. Um, I'm only 20 miles from the Canadian border. Travis Robb was in uh, Squamish, so two hours, two and a half hours, you know. Um, and, you know, we brought Ejack in when he was pretty young. And so we just kind of had a program. Um, and then Brain Farm came along and fucked that all up. <laughs> <laughs> in the best way possible. 
because that's the hardest thing about snowboarding, I think, is walking away every winter and you know there's stuff you leave on the table. And you see that footage and you're like, damn. So I think I think we're a lot harder on ourselves than we are, um, than I feel like our sponsors are on us, you know. If you're doing your job and you are doing what you're supposed to do, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to walk away and people can't pay you to walk away, you know. So I don't get paid anymore. <laughs> but however you are rich in life experience fuck yeah dude I'm loaded <laughs> <laughs> loaded uh, another thing to talk about too is the changing landscape of snowboarding media through your career because you came up it's like you know Jones can speak on this too it's like you know you, you, you know myself too you film a video part you go hard, you really need, what, fucking 20 tricks? And then... 27. 27. At least to start. 27, depending on minutes. how it's cut. <laughs> yeah, and then you got... And then you you kind of hang up the board, and you don't really have to do shit, and then all of a sudden the premiere comes out, you're a golden god in the, in the fall, and it's like... It's this, like, really kind of, like, manageable expectation when it, snowboard videos are in their prime, but then there's this changing landscape of like social media, which is like more, 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 more all the time. We need everything. We need to know what you're eating for breakfast. We need to know. Yeah. We need you to post our products. We need you to promote yourself. We need to promote the new outerwear. It's like, it's a, so how, how is the landscape changing for you as a pro? Mm, I don't know. It was actually pretty hard for me, I think, um, because you had this project you're working on with a with a team, you know, and you have your guys that you're, you have a common goal that you're working towards every single year. And it seems like when social media came into it, it became more individualized. And, I, you know, I that just didn't really jive with me. I didn't... Uh, it almost feels like you're like bragging all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't like that. Um, and I don't like, I think that's what makes snowboarding so cool is it, it's an individual sport, but you're feeding off everything, every person around you and that, and you know, the better the crew you have, the, you know, the more fire you're going to have more fuel you're going to have. And so social media was hard for me to find a balance to where I, you know, I would feel like I, if I wasn't posting this certain amount, I wasn't posting enough. And then I would have bring anxiety onto myself about not put, putting enough out there. But at the same time, it's like, shouldn't I save something for myself? You know, like, I like that aspect where we would work on something and it would come out in the fall and it would be it would, something to build up to. You know, the snowboard shops would start getting the magazines in. The movie premieres start coming in. Those start coming to the shop and sell. You know, that was such a cool time of the year. Like, you were just hyped the whole time. It's like, now we live in a society where it's like, all year long 
constantly feeding into this, you know? So it's like, even when you see something cool, you forget about it. It's gone the next day because you're looking at some, uh, some other thing that's on a screen that's two by four inches uh, instead of like sitting down with your friends and watching this cool production that, you know, the group of guys and girls put all their heart and soul into and you can see it bleed out in the film and uh you know it's pretty sad to see that kind of disappear in snowboarding there's still movies out there obviously but um, i just feel like there's something missing that 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 was special about what we had when we were coming up especially even you know when we were younger watching those videos when i when i was young i lived for that shit every year so now I, I think it's it's hard to wrap yourself around everything that's going on on social media and people, even if people don't expect anything to from you, you build up this expectation in your mind that this is what you have to do, and uh, you know, and when you fall short of that, at least for me, I tend to internalize it, and it it's not a fun place to be. It's like. Like, who gives a shit, right? Um, but that being said, now it's part of the job. And the people who are good at it are very good at it. And, you know, it, it, it was definitely a hard transition for me, and I still, I still am on the fence with it all the time. Great insight. Super good insight. Um. Go ahead, Jones. I think as a, you know, as a fan of snowboarding and watching it, that, you know, you just described this athlete component where, you know, the weight and the break and like the build up and the the release of this thing, like this, this cycle is really cool because it builds its energy building, right? And then, then it's just this launch of this thing, and so it's a project, it's a group effort, and even as a fan of snowboarding and starting to put eyes on it that was the same design that infected me, right? Because it watched those videos and, and my, all my homies, like the group, they were like, you would wait. And that wait was so special because it would build and you would hear rumors or maybe see a leak in a magazine. And it's hard to get in social and pull that same thing off. It's cool to see that. I think people are starting to kind of put eyes on it again and sniff it out and yeah. pull it out of the out of the weeds, so to speak, which will be really cool to see how what the new version of that kind of yeah. old rollout looked like. I think it's gonna happen. Yeah, because it would build your stoke and then that would translate onto the snow. Yeah. Which was right around the corner, you know, so it was like this perfect mold and uh we've gotten away from it. So hopefully we can find our way back. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect segue to get into a segment we like to call Name That Video Part. Oh, a, God. An yeah. attempt to preserve the snowboard culture. Here we go. I don't recognize that. That's the Name That Video Part intro song, so you're good. Oh, okay. It's not that. Thank God. Song. Yeah. I was about to get. Like, I'm like, can I use a lifeline? I'm going to call Bertner. Phone a friend? We could actually. <laughs> we might be able to do a phone a friend for this. Um, okay. So, name that video part is presented by Woodward. 
We have a Woodward Park City here in Utah. It's great for all progression levels from beginner all the way up to the biggest hotshot pros. They got a super pipe in the winter. They got tiny jumps if you want to catch air for the first time. They got beautiful rails. And then inside, you can go chuck into a foam pit if you want to learn your first backflip. And even, you know, my brother's kids come to town. They like doing the parkour. They got parkour in there. They got all types of good fun activities, whether it's mountain biking or skateboarding in the summer. It's really going to, uh, you know, foster the next generation of talent here. Um, And it'll be exciting to see where it goes. So check out Woodward Park City. It's only 15 minutes away from Salt Lake. And uh, they support the show, so you guys should support them. All right, let's get into name that video part. Now, um, basically, what's your confidence level, zero through 10? Mm, three. Three? Yeah. Good number. Good number. Okay, here we go. That's not fair because I used that song for a part that I fucking made for somebody when I made a video and when I was 18. You used Oh, I was thinking of a different part than 18. Which one's that what what part are you referring to? It's for my friend Jesse Belcourt and it was in my movie Brothers with Different Mothers. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's an acceptable answer. I was going white balance Matt Hammer, you sent oh, me an angel. Oh, yep, it was. So it's kind of a it's kind of a twofer, but I'm gonna we're gonna count that. Hundred percent. That's a win. Yeah, yeah. it's a win. Okay. All right. All right. You got yourself a bomb hole prize pack in here, a duffel bag. Boom. You got smelling salts. You got hoodies. You got hats. You got all kinds of bomb hole. Uh, Dude, I'm gonna smell so much salt on the way home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smelling salts great for the long drives. They keep you they keep you up. Yeah, badass boys. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you got it right. Yeah, we, I thought we we're gonna maybe have to call Jesse Burtner for a phone a friend. <laughs> we should be, like who? That's wants what to be a threw me off so bad is because I knew that it was another part, Hammer's part, but I also couldn't get Belcourt out of my mind. Mm-hmm. That's the OG yeah. for game. Yeah. yeah, that was before that was before White Balance. Mm-hmm. So yep, it was. Um, okay, and then for part two of name that video part, this isn't for you, Lando. This is for the listeners. They comment on. Uh, Instagram on the photo of you uh, when the episode comes out. That's where we pick our winner. Here we All go. right. Okay. Mm. Another Alaskan native. Thank you guys for playing Name That Video Part. You know, I, I think we should that enough. maybe get into. Uh, I think I got a guest question from Pat McCarthy. Mm. Let's hit that one. The pizzle. Here we go. The pizzle. E. E. Yo, Grand Diesel and the bomb <laughs> hole. What's up? It's Patrick McCarthy. I uh, heard Lando might be getting up on the bomb hole. I wanted to ask of all the trips all over the world you've been on scouring the earth which one was the wildest probably most impactful on your life much love love you lando let's link up my man yeah bomb hole (laughs) yeah pat love that dude um well you know the russia one was crazy and it was impactful but we've talked about that and so i think 
I want to say a New Zealand trip with Billy Anderson and Vile Loma when we were filming The Scramble. Um, it was the first time I'd ever gone to New Zealand. And we were staying in the middle of nowhere on a, a sheep farm, 70,000 acres or hectares, one of the two, and uh, Hellion right from there. And, you know, Billy just rips. So it was super fun. Oh, Seth Hewitt was there with us too. And, um, yeah, that trip was – it was so cool because it was the first time I'd kind of – been in that situation with Billy um, and for him to be able to see me snowboard like that because um, I was kind of in my element as far as freestyle snowboarding in the backcountry is concerned. I remember when we first got dropped off on top of this little thing I was going to drop this cliff and it was you know it was pretty mellow landing it wasn't anything crazy but I, 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 I was used to it and those guys weren't and I know Seth was kind of puckered a little bit and so was bill and billy hops out of the helicopter and he's still got the headphones on and he's trying to <laughs> run over there and grab his board and i'm like dude you're head <laughs> he's like oh shit puts him back and uh yeah later on in that run me and billy did like probably a couple thousand feet vertical powder wars and we're literally just arcing he's he's regular and i'm goofy so we're just arcing into each other and slashing each other for a mile down this mountain. It was like the wow. coolest thing ever. Um, and I tackled a bunch of sheep. I got knocked out by a sheep. Um, my buddy Jake Liska, before I went over there, he had gone to New Zealand a couple of years before. He's like, dude, you got to tackle a sheep, man. I swear <laughs> to God, it's fucking awesome. You got to tackle a sheep. <laughs> and just to get him off my back, I'm like, fine, dude, I will tackle a sheep. Just drop it, you know? And uh, so sure enough, we're living on a sheep farm. And we were sitting in the, sitting in the hot tub after a day out on the snow having some whiskey and I look over and there's a bunch of sheep right there in the little in the uh, fenced area the corral whatever you call it and I'm like all right boys because I'd been talking it up how I'm gonna tackle sheep the whole time <laughs> so I get in there I'm like all right dude we're tackling sheep today so we get in there and I just start taking sheep out dude like I got like 17 tackles within like 10 <laughs> minutes I'm like Volcom stone stickers I'm slapping on the sheep and shit like so pumped I'm just like yes <laughs> I am the man <laughs> and Chaz who runs the farm comes down and he just kind of starts like giggling and laughing at me and I'm like dude what are you laughing at and he's like well those are the lame sheep those are all the ones. Those are the small ones and the ones who are too weak. So that's why we put them in this corral. He's like, tomorrow I'll take you down to the real sheep. I'm like, all right. So we go down there. And these things are like, these things are like twice as big. They're huge, dude. And uh, they're so fast, I couldn't catch them. So I'm like, all right, Vile, you get on the truck. I'm going to hide behind this hill. You corral and bring them around and whatever then i'll then i then i'll be able to get them i'll catch them by surprise so they bring them over the hill and i lock eyes with the sheep and i start you know he's trying to juke me and i'm <laughs> juking back and all of a sudden i just go for it and i dive right onto him and he 
whips back right when I dive onto his head and headbutts me right in the face, dude, lays me out. I I think I got, I'd say I probably got knocked out for a second. Bloody face. That was in the scramble It's in video. the movie, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think that was probably one of the more memorable trips because uh, New Zealand, like, I love traveling and, and like, kind of, like, embracing the culture, you know? And uh, New Zealand is such a cool culture, such a, I don't know, the people there are very kind. The food's great. I don't even know if they have organic. I think everything's pretty much organic anyway, you know. And, uh, yeah, we just had a great trip. And um, and thank Billy Anderson for that. So I'm going to leave it there. Legendary. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got another question from none other than Travis Rice. (laughs) Here we Mm. go. Yo, hoya, hiya, bum hole. Travis here. And I uh, just got a quick question for Mark. Um, Mark, you know, you have someone who has dabbled in all kinds of activities. Um, but one of, um, you know, my favorites I've been lucky enough to witness is your fast rise to surfing critical <laughs> big reef waves. Uh, you know, a lot of people spend so many years just getting you know, completely humiliated by the ocean, but, um, you've skipped the entirety of, (laughs) uh, the learning curve and went straight to, uh, towing into critical reef reef waves. Um, maybe share some of your process and, uh, your approach to surfing. I knew he was going to, as soon as he started talking, I knew what that was about. So, yeah, I don't surf very much, and when I do, I tend to get hurt, or I'm in Russia and freezing water, and, you know, it's every other couple of years, <laughs> strap myself back in and see what happens. So, what Travis is talking about is um, after the fourth phase, after we were done filming all the snow stuff, he had sailed his boat from, like, North Carolina to the Panama Canal, uh, all the way up to Tahiti, and that's where we shot the boat stuff. It was in Tahiti. So I flew over, and I met him. We shot all that boat stuff, and then everybody left, and then Trav and I had his boat. So we just cruised for, like, 10 days. We went to this island um, called Maria, I think, I believe. And so we go out one night, and pretty much everything in Tahiti is like a reef break, and they're gnarly. Like, we sat at Chopu and watched that wave break on the water. You know how you can sit right on the edge and watch that? Like, we watched it when they were filming Point Break 2, actually, the last scene where the dude's following him in the barrel. And uh, so we find this wave, and it's really sick, and we're out there, and Trav's like, oh, dude, you think you can you tow me into this? And he's got a, a Zodiac. <laughs> like a dinghy. Yeah. It's called Dingus Con. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. And so I tow him into like a couple waves and it, you know, it worked out great. And I think he had kind of designed the dinghy to do that. I don't know how you design a dinghy to do that, but travel figure out a way to do that. And he's like, dude, you got to do it. And I'm like, he's like, you'll be fine because, you know, the hardest part is paddling, knowing where you're at, all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's try it. 
And so, and it's a trip because these waves aren't roller. They're not coming. You're not watching these waves come in. Like all of a sudden it builds out of nowhere on that reef. And all of a sudden it's just this thick macking wave out of nowhere. So, you know, you get up you start towing around and I'm just waiting for him to tow me in. Like, so we do a couple circles and he tows me in and like I said, I don't really surf. Like, I've never <laughs> cruised up and down a wave. Like, if I stand up and pin it to the beach, like, I'm fired up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and this thing's more than double. This is, like, double overhead plus. Like, it's a big fucking wave, dude. dude. And um, so he tows me in, and I drop in, and I... It was the most amazing thing in my life. I cut into it, I cut back up, and I am surfing. Like, I surfed the shit out of this wave, in my mind. And Trap saw it. Like, I shrouped it, dude, (laughs) all the way in. Like, I rode it as far as I could, man. And it was like this. I'm like, I was on top of the world, you know? Like, surfing's crazy, especially when you don't do it very much. And then to surf something like that and walk away, I was in hog heaven, dude. I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm like, we got to go back out tomorrow morning for sure. Because we have to go out either really late or really early before people get in the lineup, you know? And so next morning, I'm like, I'm definitely going to GoPro this. So I have the smart idea to stuff a GoPro in my mouth. (laughs) But it's bigger, and it's kind of scarier, so I'm not thinking. Like the day before, Trav gave me a little instruction and stuff like that. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I got it. And that day, just seeing a little bit of a bigger wave, kind of a little bit choppier, it looked, looked nasty. And so I, I wasn't thinking very straight. So we get going, and he pulls me into one, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't think I'm in the right spot. And so I dive off. But what I had forgot is that it was bigger that day. So we're like, let's not do the set wave. We'll do like two before the set wave. So I dove off, and I have two Mac macking waves coming at me (laughs) set wave so i'm like paddling as hard as i've ever paddled in my life and i'm coming cresting like vertical out of that thing like crying fuck you rice slam down barely get through the first one make it over the second one and i flop back on the boat just like like just thankful that i'm alive you know and trav of course being travis he's like oh, dude, you got to go do it again, man. You got this. You got it. You got it. And I'm like, fuck, all right, fine. So I get going again, and same as before, I wasn't really thinking. So he gets me into this wave, and I drop in, and that's all I do. (laughs) I drop in, and I go out in the flat, and then I go, oh, God. And I look back up, dude, and it's just, right on top of my head and I take like five on the head and luckily this thing had a channel to like skirt you around the reef um probably didn't work like that every time but for that time it worked and I it skirted me around the reef I lived GoPro is still in my mouth (laughs) and uh yeah I almost died it was killer but the night before was magical. 
So Dude. yeah, that is that is trap towing me into freaking double overhead reef wave in Tahiti. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was horrible. Dude. I mean, it was awesome. It, that's like one of those things where it's like you look back and it was like, yeah, that was a, it was the raddest thing ever. I but it. at the time, yeah, I, I thought I was dead, dude. He probably did too. He was probably tripping. He's like, oh my God. I talked him into it. Probably just might have killed him. <laughs> oh my God. Dude. Sketch. Yeah. <laughs> Big time sketch. Wow. Being friends with Trav. Yep. You got to be a psychopath for that. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. You can't drop your guard, it feels like. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, we got some Patreon questions that we haven't hit. Um, so our Patreon, th- our, our listeners that support us. Um, and uh, maybe you hit the second one down, Silk. What do you think? Yeah, let's run it. We got a question from uh, Jeremy Allen. Um, and he asked if you're still not drinking. And he said, if so, how do you not drink when you're around other people who are drinking? Mm. Any tips? Good question. Um, yep, I'm still not drinking. I can't remember if it's 10 or 11 years, but it's 10 or 11 years. And um, what's actually kind of cool these days is a lot of these micro brews and other beer companies are doing a lot more N.A.'s especially within the last year, year and a half. Um, so there's plenty of non-alcoholic drinks out there that you can get. Um, and it's not like you're trying to prove anything to anybody else, but it's like, I don't know, the beer still tastes good to me to have an IPA without alcohol in it. They're still good. It tastes great. Um, but it kind of like takes the edge off a little bit, you know? Because it is weird when you're, like, what do you do? Just go order a soda and water, just a water the whole time. And um, I think it comes with time, too, Um, just getting comfortable in your own skin, not drinking. Um, It's just going to take time. But there is drinks out there that are alternatives to not having alcohol. And just remember you're doing it for yourself, nobody else. Great advice. Epic advice. Hmm. I like that. Good stuff. Seems like it's getting more acceptable, too. It is. It's like a new, uh, yeah, it might be the new punk rock thing. A lot of people aren't drinking. I was kind of thinking about, too, because you think about early sobriety is super uncomfortable. It's like really, especially going out to a bar when you're used to, you know, that exciting feeling of, hammering a couple beers back and you know like the this is kind of fucking corny but it's like all the good stuff kind of comes when you're uncomfortable a lot of times you know like it's like you could you could cruise the groomers or you could you could try something on the wedge Mm -hmm. the wedge is uncomfortable yeah it's like same with kind of sobriety it's like there's there's a lot of payoffs with that too it's uncomfortable but can you be on can you be comfortable being uncomfortable till it becomes something that's easier yeah yeah it's like a line in alaska you're gonna ride it or you're gonna try a front five in the middle and ride the rest switch you know what i mean it's like yeah there's 
you know, benefits to both of them. But if you go for the one that you are uncomfortable and you come out, it's, uh, it's way more fulfilling, I think. I have a question on just getting out of that. I mean, I guess the acceptance within your friends, because it, I'm, I would imagine in most friend groups like that, if the group kind of still in the phase of just partying hard in the terms of boozing, and then one of them is just like, I'm out. Do you have any suggestions on how that those friends can help support that and, and try to avoid being like the, like the, why are you doing this? Come on, let's just like come back to our side rather than, and, and encourage it a bit mm-hmm. more. I mean, a lot of times it'll go both ways, I feel like, and yeah. friends split like that, but friend support's important, I would imagine. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, you know, it can come down to empathy too. It's like we don't really take time to think about and to process stuff in in that context, you know. You, normally that's a quick, you know, quick reaction to be like, "What? well, why are you stopping? Or how long are you going to do this for? Or instead of being like, well, why are you doing this? You know, why do you want to do this? And I think once people understand it, it makes it easier for them to process. Because I feel like it was harder for some of my friends to process than it was for me. Like, it was easy for me to quit drinking. Like, I quit cold turkey. Like I said, I knew I was going to do it one day. I just waited for the time to do it. And... uh and that was really hard because you're looking for support and the people that you're used to getting support from don't understand it or they're still just doing their own thing, you know? And I think that it's it's uh, it's easy for it to become a misunderstanding where it's, uh, you know, a lot of those relationships where people didn't get it at first, it just takes time, you know? And those guys that didn't get it or who are offended by it the most at that time are, you know, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum now, yeah. you know. And, you know, personally, like one of my best friends who is, for lack of better words, offended by me not drinking and would take it personally, he doesn't drink anymore, you know. And it's like, I think we we're probably internalizing something that we're dealing with that we don't want to address rather than just saying, oh, that's cool. That's something that you want to do. But it's it's probably more something that that person is dealing with in their own sobriety or the lack thereof that makes them act like that towards you, you know? Excellent perspective. It's a black belt take right yeah. there. That's what it is. Hundred percent. Yeah, you definitely. Well said. You articulated that perfectly, and it's definitely a, a pattern of you'll notice that the the people that I see that tend to wrestle with the sobriety the most, or the people that are the, have the hardest time with uh, not drinking, tend to be the ones that drink a lot. And it's you know it seems like a projection. And I like how you just kind of beautifully articulated that. That was great. Thank you. Good stuff. Who's high mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's friends with Billy. 
<laughs> Dude, he knows hi, Mark, for sure. <laughs> for sure he does. Silk, I'm not allowed to answer that. Silk, D, Silk D's related to hi, Mark. That's his, that's his cousin. I've never, heard, never heard of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> You might have seen him on a snowmobile now and, now and again. Oh, man. Um, another thing we didn't really talk about too much, but, like, Jamie Lynn art on your board and shit. Like, what's your favorite lib graphic? Mm. That's a real hard one. The whale, 100%. Mm. Yep. The whale. Jamie Lynn. That's my favorite graphic of all time. That was the second board I ever had. Bought it off my homie. Um, yeah, there's something about that board. It was special. I mean, that's why they did a remake of it, right? Timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, we got another Patreon question here. Uh, I'll hit this one, Silk D. Um, in regards to um, some of your woodworking stuff, it's really cool. Uh, what inspired you to work with artist Jane? Oh, this is from, sorry, Alexander Crump and Brody Chappelle basically asked the same question, which is a really good question. Uh, what inspired you to work with artist James Johnson? And are you two going to collaborate more in the future? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so James and I grew up together in Juneau. Um, he was a tailback. I was the quarterback for our little league Seahawks team. Oh, he's QB. You're a QB. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Until I got bigger, and then I was tailback mm. after James left. Um, he was like Marshawn Lynch mm. in the backfield, dude. It was awesome watching him play. So we grew up together. He's uh, he actually taught me how to do a 360 on my snowboard. Um, and in high school, he started playing basketball and kind of got away from snowboarding. Uh, if you played football and basketball in our high school, you, like, couldn't do anything else. You know, they wouldn't let you. Mm. That's actually why I stopped snowboard or why I stopped playing football, because the coach said, well, you can't skateboard or snowboard if you're playing football. And he would come to my house every year and ask me to play, and I was like, well, does the rule still stand? And I said, well, I'm going to snowboard. Thank you, though. And so James and I grew up together. He was a year older, and he started – his father had given him – before his father passed away, he'd given him some uh, cedar blocks. And cedar is what typically James's clinket um, from Juneau, and cedar is what they traditionally carve in. It's soft. It's clean. Not a lot of knots, you know. Um, So he started teaching himself how to carve and how to do traditional clinket form line. And he started coming up to Whistler to mountain bike. And on his way, he would bring a mask, and I would trade him a snowboard for a mask. And he kept getting better. And then when I was in that first manic state... You know, I, uh, I'd i been into art, super into art throughout high school. Um, that was a big part of my high school time. I had a really cool art teacher. And so 
when I got in that manic state, that that artistic brain kind of came back, and that's when I really started getting into the finer art of woodworking and concrete and metal work. And so I called James up, and I'm like, dude, you should come up here, man. So I flew him up like three or four times that summer, and we would just kind of go to town he would do what he was doing i would do my thing and i would turn him on to like these big live edge pieces slabs of wood and be like why don't you do your form line on this like try that it'd be sick so he it was just this really cool energy you know and i think james is like the only person in the world i can sit with and like if he doesn't say a word for like 10 hours it's not uncomfortable like that's how locked in he is into his work, wow. and um, and now he's just grown like self-taught. I mean, he is on a roll right now. He, you know, he did a boot with Vans. He did a shoe with Vans. He did plug with Smartwool. Um, he's he did a logo for Google. He just had a meeting with the UN last week about cultural appropriation. He's supposed to testify in a hearing, I think later this summer, um, for this dude who, a lot of times in the Pacific Northwest, you have these tour shops that sell, quote unquote, you know, traditional clinket or Haida artwork, art pieces, shimshian, whatever it is. But they're not, you know, they're from, they're knockoffs from China or whatever. Mm. And so this dude actually got busted and he had shops in like three different states. And this is the first time this has ever happened. So it's like setting a precedent for this. And uh, James is going to go testify in front of and just give a testimonial, you know, an impact testimony of what it means to steal their culture like that is because... Um, you know, we're lucky that we have any piece of their culture and artwork in our lives these days, the way that they were treated, you know, in the 1800s, 1900s, 1700s, whatever it is. Um, and so I am definitely going to be doing more collaboration with James. Um, we've been talking about it more and more. I went and met with him at the Burke Museum in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and, um, we will be collaborating more, and um, I just needed time to figure my shit out and come back to it, and, you know, uh, nothing but love for him. He's a, he's, he's a special person, and he's bringing light to his culture and his ancestry that has been diminished over time. Uh, and it's amazing to see how far he's come in a, in a short of time. So I can't wait to can't wait to see where he goes with it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, really cool. Uh, okay. He liked to work with wood. <laughs> <laughs> Nice one. You said wood. Uh, you know, I always think about we we had Trevor Andrew on the show one time, and he was talking about. If you look at him; he's done like music and art, and he's just been like, and all this amazing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. But he's always like, I always think about this quote where he's like, whenever you find yourself losing yourself in something where you like lose sense of time, he's like, just go towards that. Yeah. It's great fucking advice. Mm-hmm. It is. But I feel like, you know, I would love to hear your experience in this woodworking situation. Like, is that your experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny because it draws a pretty distinct comparison between what we do on a snowboard and what is, I say, do in my garage. You know, I'm finding a place to transcend time. Really, it's what it is. Because um, I can be on an Alaskan peak, and as soon as I yell drop over the radio, I don't hear anything. I don't hear the helicopter. I don't hear anything. Like, laser focus on what's in front of me, and time literally slows down in my mind. Um, and that's the same thing with art and woodworking, and that's why there's such a strong draw to it. You know, hanging out with people like James Johnson and Jamie Lynn, those those guys, like, epitomize that. That's, like, they're literally living through their art every day, and it's so cool. Uh, everywhere Jamie goes, he's just panning on something, painting something, you know. He's always got spray paint on his hands. Um, and so, yeah, woodworking... And I, I guess it's more just art in general because I do more than woodworking. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's a place where I'm not putting, you know, my life and limb at risk like I am in snowboarding, but I do find that same sense of, uh, like, inner peace, I guess, doing something that you're truly that focused on where the entire world shuts off and yeah like like andrew said if you find that follow it run towards it um it's kind of like what my therapist told me you know she's like you know when coming out of like a depressive state or something like that you're looking for energy you're trying to find that she's like if you get any inkling of you know energy or you know if you're if something gives you drive, just do it. Keep doing it and, like, do it 15 minutes longer than you think you should because that's going to help you get to that point down the road. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely right about that. Mm. Fo- follow it. Run at it. I like yeah. that 15 minutes extra. Totally. Just throw a little extra in. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's incredible. Yeah. It's on point. It's a banger. It's like it's almost like when you're in a high frequency, good space, it just comes out of you too. You like you have to you have to create like it flows. It's like yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's how it felt when I was in the manic state. It was like I had energy coming out of me, and people would pick up on it. Like it it was it was palpable, you know. And you find that in certain people, and like I was, you know, out of my mind, going crazy, but. Like, <laughs> You find people like Jamie and James that can like tap into that all the time. It's it's really cool to watch. Yeah, another thing before we wrap this thing up and everything else, I think uh, it would be really cool to talk about um, outliers, the most recent footage that you put out and how that came about. Yeah, um, 
I would say that it was pretty random. I just went up to Haynes. Um, Jake Liska, who owns Borderline Legacy, has a cabin up there. Um, and he's got a bunch of snowmobiles, a bunch of other toys. And uh, Rylan lives, I don't know, half a mile away. And so, and Rylan knows that zone. Like, uh, yeah, shout out. And uh, it's pretty fun. Ryland's, uh, he's kind of like the guide, figuring out where we're going. He's got the drone, and he's riding. So, like, he'll ride down to the spot. He's like, all right, pulls out the drone, gets it up in the air, films me, and then he'll even throw it up static mode and do his line, come down, land the drone, put it in his backpack, and we'll double around, go get the sleds, and do it again. And so, uh, yeah, I was just up there for the spring, and we uh, we were just having fun, man. It was, it was cool. I haven't ridden with Ryland since he used to come out because he's he's from uh, Dave Dave Hatchet has a cabin where Ryland grew up, not, not grew up, but where he fishes now. And he met Dave Hatchett a long time ago. And so Ryland used to come out with us back in the day in Tahoe when we were filming standard and like, we'd be done with a jump or a cliff or something. And he would like be stoked to like pick up scraps and hit it. And then he turned into like this big mountain badass, you know, it was really cool to watch. And so, uh, yeah, we were just kind of on a mission and getting out there and, shredding AK in the spring and that's how the outliers thing came about and you know we didn't have the best conditions but they were good enough to to send it and uh yeah man I was it was a lot of fun just uh I'd say low stress nice and mellow um yeah and then I filmed that opener for that with my wig and shit on and rode that go-kart for six <laughs> hours straight dude no joke six hours Such i was fucking opener. covered in mud <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah keep the skits rolling absolutely <laughs> good shit and then um uh f- let's talk about this mental health doc that you've been cooking up for the past couple of years yeah so I don't know, like I said, anytime I kind of open up up about this stuff, it seems like I get such a welcome response from it. It's like, dude, and there's there's really hardly any movies out there as far as documentaries are concerned with mental health that are, like, impactful and actually intriguing to watch. And, you know, they all seem pretty outdated and when the when the irons movie came out um tgr did that at that same time i had kind of opened up on social media and just kind of laid everything out and said that you know what i was going through mental health diagnosis bipolar all that and people had a super positive response to it i was in juno and um Terry Tibbet contacted me about doing a radio interview and a paper interview, and they were also 
starting to premiere that video and people started asking me to speak at the opening of these videos, you know, and, uh, and I felt kind of awkward because it was TGR's video for me to like go and speak at it. So I hit up Steve Jones and was like, Hey, you know, um, people keep asking me to come to these video premieres and like do a Q and a or speak after the film's over, do you guys mind if I do that? Um, and he was super stoked. He was more happy. Like, he just thought it was the coolest thing that I had asked him. Um, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I went up to Whistler. Chad Chomlak had put it together, and they played the film. And I went up on stage afterward with Chad, and we just kind of did a sit-down, like, 45 minutes or whatever. It was, like, three or 400 people. And, you know, I spoke plenty of times in my career snowboarding, doing interviews and stuff like that. And, you know, always kind of like felt a little bit nervous. And, you know, this was like the most relaxed, um, well-spoken I felt that I had ever been in an interview situation in, you know, in something that was so heavy. And... You know, when I when I saw Steve later in that year in Jackson, he said, if you ever want to work on anything, like, let us know. And J.K., who had been our executive director um, for the fourth phase, he's over at TGR now. So I hit up, and we're really good friends, so I hit up J.K. I'm like, yo, I've been writing this mental health doc for a couple of years now. I think it would be really cool... Um, you think it's something you guys might be interested in. And so we've been going back and forth on it for a while now. And, you know, we're at the process of trying to find funding. And we're hoping to get that underway and shoot that thing. And it's going to, you know, it's looking like it's probably going to be more like a full-length feature, like 90 minutes, you know. And um, so, yeah, man, I've... I can't wait to get that under the wraps just because, like I said, I've been writing it for a long time, and uh, I think the way it's going to be threaded through the story and how it will tie other people in. and other It's not a documentary about me. It follows my story, but it's not about me. It's you know It has a much bigger picture to it. And uh, so, yeah, that's something I'm really excited about. So... Hopefully we can get that thing off the ground in the next year, and I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be an awesome project for everybody. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Rad, what a good contribution! Uh, be a great contribution to action sports in general. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I just society in general could use that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Does it feel like that if you think about? It's kind of like snowboarding is like the me show a little bit, right? It's like, check me out, check out my tricks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like maybe not the most, like, it is gratifying for a second. But do you feel as though doing something for a little bit of a bigger purpose has a little more gratification? 100%. Yeah. I feel like as a generality in snowboarding, we don't give enough back to the community, which is weird because the snowboard community is the 
coolest thing about it, you know? And that's what Scott Liska did that was so rad for all of us, you know? The skate contest, the summer camp, like all those events that brought the community together is what what built that for me. And, you know, with more consumers going to online shopping these days, you, you don't find that sense of community and that sense of balance. And, uh, you know, s- snowboarding is self-serving, I guess, if you, you know, like if you look at it, like not in a bad way, it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I feel like it's more of a vessel for me to get to this point to tell this other story. You know, it's been a hell of a ride. Great vessel to be on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I see it as a platform to get me to a place where I can do uh, more good, which maybe sounds cheesy, but it, it, it is way more fulfilling and way more gratifying as, as a person. And I think you find that with time. You get older and you want to do more to support the cool things in your life you know like jeff pinciero like that's why you know jeff's one of my heroes seeing what he done with bald face you know like he's created that sense of community and family up there and you feel it when you go up there and it wouldn't be like that if it wasn't for jeff like that place doesn't exist without jeff it, it would just be another cat skiing place it's not the best terrain in the world it's super fun what makes it the best place in the world is Jeff and how he's brought those employees up, you know, the dudes who are wrenching on the fucking sleds and doing whatever they had to do at the time. Now they're guides, you know what I mean? And, and it is truly a family and there's something to be said about that. And that, you know, I, the, the faster pace we move in life, the quicker we get going, the more social media have, we have the, further we fall away from things like that. So I think it's important to try and uh, find that balance. And, you know, I would really love for snowboarding to be able to bring more back to the community in general. And I think it, I think, uh, I think it's owed. I think it's deserved. And all it's going to do is grow your bottom line, you know, get more kids out there get more families out there you're selling more product and you're doing something cool and there's cool things that you can do in that community and I think there's a huge opportunity and a missed opportunity if we don't wise words Lando dropping knowledge yeah couldn't agree more dude I dropped so much knowledge (laughs) (laughs) uh So along those lines, just a good reminder that it's really cool, too. Uh, Mike Yoshida um, sent us a photo of you doing a hand plant, uh, I think in Japan, I believe. Hype? Which, which hype. I believe, uh, yep, hype. Uh, Asadachi. Um, Asadachi-san. Asadachi-san, which uh, I would, I'm hoping you're going to sign for us. Yep. And um, Yosh insisted that... Uh, a uh, percentage of the proceeds go to the National Suicide Prevention Charity, which is what we're going to do. And so also, uh, Mike Yoshida is the shit, and he has a print shop. So mm-hmm. check out uh, MikeYoshida.com. He's got all kinds of bangers on there, bangers on bangers on bangers. And you uh, you can get nice photos. It's a great gift, you know. You go to Yoshi- Yoshida's website, and, you know, it's 
what, who, a great snowboard photo on the wall. I mean, we got them all over here. It's, yeah. it's a great, uh, it's a great gift for anybody. So. Thank you, Yosh. What a nice contribution. What a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. You, you are, a, you are a special man. Should we give Yosh the super air horn? Uh huh. Okay, hang on. Let me get there. Or should we give him the homies cooked uh, young dolly long format? Let's give him the young homies cooked long format. I think that's like better. It, yeah. yeah. Hey, yo, homies cooked. <laughs> hey, yo, what the fuck, homies cooked. Hey, yo, homies cooked. Are you a good? Hey, I see my homies cooked. Are you a good? <laughs> homies cooked. Almost better than the air horn salute. Where did you guys get that? So, have you ever heard the <laughs> intro that we made for the um, podcast? Maddie Mo made that, uh, <laughs> and I, I basically wanted all these different sound bites. So we have like, I think there's a Mac Attack dude from JP in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Bon Voyage from Mikey LeBlanc. There's a, a bunch of like famous quotes, and like Young Dolly, who's who's a Euro Ripper. His kind of tagline is "Homies cooked." So I, I sent him a text. I'm like, "Hey, can can we get a homies cooked drop for the intro?" And so he didn't just send one homies cooked. He recorded that whole thing. And so it's yeah, we have we have options to pick from, but the whole thing in its entirety is just a masterpiece. Oh, it's Such great! A masterpiece. That's good stuff. All right, it's time for the pub beer crapshoot. We're gonna get into it. It's time to roll the dice for some cheap fun presented by Pub Beer. No matter what you're doing, cracking open a pub beer for cheap fun is always a safe bet. Responsibly, of course. Jeremy, you know what I mean? I do. So uh, Mm. basically, um, the concept is you roll the dice, and then we'll tell you what you got to do depending on what you land on. So you just got to roll two. Two of them? Yep. All right. You roll. Three and five. Uh, Three and five. Eight. Let me look at my sheet here. Okay, eight. Who is your favorite person to party with? Mm. Uh, dude, it's hard to not say T Rice. Mm. Mm. T Rickle. Me and me and T Ricky together were <laughs> forced to be reckoned with. There's a couple of Bash brothers out on the town, huh? Oh, dude. I mean, one year we had a premiere tour for that's it. That's it. That's all. I think was 13 countries in 17 or 18 days. Jesus. And we yeah. were just like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. I'll say T Ricky. Respect. Yeah. Bad day to be a pub beer if you're on that tour. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. R.I.P. You're getting squashed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to get into uh, hot takes now. Hot takes is uh, kind of the idea is it's like rapid fire a little bit. Um, With the so dice? No, you don't. You, oh. don't, you can leave them on there. Shout out to Goon Gear uh, for those dice. Thank you, Lucas. Yeah, thanks, Goon. Um, but uh, yeah, basically, you just I'm just going to run through some questions and... Uh, you can kind of quickly elaborate, but I wouldn't go down like a fucking 30-minute wormhole on these. Copy. Um, okay. So first question I like to ask is uh, who is the GOAT or Michael Jordan of snowboarding, both male and female, to you as it pertains to you? Who you got? Mm, well, I mean, that's such a hard one. I'm going to split it into two. So first half of my... Snowboard life, Terry Hawkinson, 100%. The GOAT. Now, there's Trav. I mean, can't really say any more than that. Travis is undeniable. And for the women, um, uh, 
Dude, I don't know. Jamie Anderson's pretty badass. She is. Um, and if we're going, you know, split it in half, give Vic- Victoria Jalouse. Great answers. Yeah. Okay, would you say snowboarding is an art or a sport? It's a spark. The shark or a spark? Uh, it's, no, it's it is a shark. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's unfortunate that we have to call it a sport, but yeah, it's way more of an art form, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, who's the most underrated? Hmm, Victor De La Rue. Great answer. Good answer. Wow, haven't got that one, but yeah, that's totally good. great answer. Okay, um, steel is in like rails or powder. Wait, what? <laughs> steel, steel or pow- like steel, like rails or powder, like uh, street snowboarding or rails uh, or yeah. big mountain. Let's go with powder for two. Damn, I was gonna I, powder I was, for two hundred, Chris. I was really hoping you were gonna say steel, just because like <laughs> your career was short on the steel, but it was magnificent. It was. <laughs> Bring it back. Cue the sea rails. Yeah. Ended with a bang. <laughs> okay, best style or favorite style, whatever. Um. Jamie Lynn, Nicholas Mueller. Okay, favorite method? Jamie Lynn. Okay, your favorite snowboard video ever made? Mm. Ooh, Roadkill. Excellent. Favorite snowboard graphic ever made? Jamie Lynn Wales. (laughs) (laughs) Are you pant over the high back guy or under the high back? I think I'm pant under. Wait, what does Birdner do? Because I do the opposite, I think. Shit, I think he's over. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think he's over. I think I'm under. Well, no, under is when the high back's exposed. So. Yeah, yeah. So you're under. Yeah. No, I'm under. Okay. Um, But I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Okay. I got a new, <laughs> I got a new one. I got a new one for hot takes. Dream sponsor. Oh, I like it. Ooh. Oh. Uh, my pillow. <laughs> Your pillow? <laughs> Elaborate. Neuralink. Um, dream sponsor? Dude, I've already had them. You know what I mean? Like, wow. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say you can go anything in the world. Like, like for me, I'll just give you an example. Home Depot. I'm just going to throw that. I'm just. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Fest tool. Okay. There it is. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Fest tool. Yep. Okay. Um, if you could go heliboarding three people in the world, hypothetical, dead or alive, anywhere, anyone, and you're going and you're just doing good times, wiggles, pow turns, slashes, perfect, mellow, fun terrain, no camera. You're just, just living it. Who are you taking in that heli? Trav, Jeff, and Chris Courier. Juno, homie. Solid. Okay, last question. Actually, we'll throw this one in there, too. First try go-to, like, backcountry pat-down trick for, like, a step-down. What's your go-to? Mm, for a step down? Yeah, step down, pat down. Okay. Front seven. Mm. Uh, mute. Mm. Mute. Mm-hmm. 
More reliable than a front three? Awesome. Definitely not more reliable, but, you know, we're talking about the, Mm. you know. Good choice. Yep, I like it. I like it. Okay. He's opening up with the – he's skipping the front three. He's going to front seven. Got to respect it. Yeah. Um, Okay, last question. Worst trend. What do you got? Uh, Social medium. Because it's not social media, it's social medium. Everybody's, you know, it just levels everybody out. There ain't nothing special about social media. It just makes everything blah. So I'd say social media is a pretty lame trend. Great answer. That is. Okay, we also like to ask, you know, setups as far as the board you're riding, you know, bindings, how you set it up. Everybody wants to know. What's Lando on these days? I don't even know what I'm on. Um, I was riding Slash, I was riding a Cardiff, and bouncing around between Lib 2. Um, so I don't really know what board I'm on. Um, I'm definitely always rocking some Burton bindings, and just for shits and gigs, I'm usually 21 inch nose with a 19 inch tail um 23 to 23.5 stance negative six in the back and positive 21 Mm. i believe forward lean uh yep i don't know what it is but yeah i think on a two or three on a burton little cool yeah that's a decent stance yeah. for your that's height. That's a stomp town. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, that's a solid stance. stompy yeah. stance. Yeah, OG. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and definitely don't wax my board much, and I don't detune, especially if I'm hitting rails. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I would do some kink rails with razors. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut through it? I didn't know any better. <laughs> That's as good as doling them, though, a lot of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not knowing any better. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, what's next for uh, Lando? Any chance of, uh, like, let's say, like, natural selection? You watch it. Are you like, I can get in there? Yeah, for sure. For sure. When I watch the Jackson one, I'm like, ooh, that would be a little tough, you know? But then I watch the Canada and the AK one. I'm like, I could definitely hang. And whatever, I'd throw down a Jackson one, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what see what happens. Jeff's Jeff sent me a video of the Rocky uh, montage where he's getting jacked up in Russia yeah, yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> got the same thing. So I might go up to Baldface and uh, bench press logs and mm. try to catch ducks with my butt cheeks this fall and see what happens. <laughs> It would be good to see a Lando vest at the top of the Natty Select. I'd like to see that. <laughs> it would. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the last thing we always do is, uh, you want to throw out any thank yous before we wrap this thing up? Sure. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you to Travis Rice for always uh, supporting me, always bringing me along on your crazy missions and being through all the hard times, you know, being a solid support leg for me um i want to say thanks to jeff pinciero for 
showing me how special snowboarding is and having a place that I can always go back to and feel more at home than I am when I'm at my house. Um, say thank you to Jesse Bertner for believing me, believing in me, and uh, giving me the chance to build our snowboard careers together. Um, thank you to Billy Anderson at Volcom at the time for doing the same, believing in me and giving every, giving me everything I needed to succeed. Uh, Brian Knox at Vans, same thing. Um, those two were like two of my favorite team managers. Um, still really good friends. Thanks to all my Juno boys. Um, all those dudes could have been pro snowboarders too. I'm just the one who made it out. And uh, I wouldn't be here without them. Um, of course, thanks to my parents, mom and dad, for being there always. Um, and thanks to everybody who has supported me throughout this thing we call a career in professional snowboarding. And, you know, if, if I can bring anything to the table and people can walk away from it happier and with more enjoyment in their life. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it and I hope to bring better things to the table throughout my life. So thanks to everybody. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you guys. And finally, thank you guys. Lando, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been a pleasure and an honor to come chat with you. So really appreciate that. Yeah, man. It's been fun. Thanks. Thanks again. Hell yeah. And lastly, thank you, Silk, producing. Appreciate you. Jones. Pleasure. Lando. And of course, everybody that listens and tunes into the show and the whole snowboard community and all of our sponsors and all of our Patreon members, we really appreciate you guys so much. And uh, yeah, over and out from the bomb hole. You. Yeah.